It's Tuesday, January 25th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! Heart on a run Keeps a hand on the gun Can't trust anyone and I was so sure What I needed was more Tried to shoot out the sun The days when we raised We flew This episode of the podcast is brought to you as always by Man Rubs Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off-duty gear. Custom orders available. StayReadyGear.com and on Instagram, StayReadyGearUSA. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. You know, you never can take a great night's sleep for granted. And you can only get the best night's sleep after you've shopped at the MyPillow store, supported Mike Lindell, canceled everywhere, fighting for election integrity. Canceled his fucking bank account. Minnesota Bank and Trust. What a dick. Enemies of the state. Definitely not patriotic. What a stupid son of a bitch. There you go. Use promo code STEAK at checkout for big, big savings. And uh, maybe even get a soft cover edition of Mike Lindell's book with your order. MyPillow.com forward slash steak. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. Now the top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording headphones can be found at odyssey.com whether you're uh gaming potting covering me up etc <laughs> make sure you take care of those ears find them on facebook and instagram as well mike down at west coast survival arms has been servicing southern california for over a decade he's got a five-star rating he's licensed ffl if you're into tradesies he's got a newly redesigned website easy to navigate showing a lot of things on facebook as well westcoastsurvivalarms.com Talk to him on the Facebook Messenger app or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mike's got ammo. Go hit him up. Our first responders are working hard. Apparently, it's uh, car accident season. Oof. <laughs> Vehicular death season. And uh, all of our first responders, the boys in blue, etc., love Mediocre Medic. T-shirts, sweatshirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more for while they're off-duty. Stickers and patches for while they're protecting and serving. You can find them on uh, Instagram and at MediocreMedic.com. And then last but certainly not least, the top tier of tactical flair and all things related can be found at Dumpbox. Mark Joe Friday, owner, operator, CEO, and the man behind the Zero Fuck Stuck. If you don't know, go ask Mark. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram and on Dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our telegram, and more. And on that note, welcome. Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast. 
Episode 102. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. How's it going? Here I am. Antoinette's also joined us. Hey guys, how are you? Doing great. We're going to have uh, House Candidates Dan Crenshaw's primary challenger, Jameson hey. Ellis, running in Texas 2 coming up, as well as Mr. Jack Lombardi, who's looking to uh, represent the fighting Illinois' 14th Congressional District Office. But first, let's get to the news. Okay, things right now have uh, really started to heat up on the uh, Russia-Ukraine border. The dog is wagging awfully hard. Oop. The military industrial complex is foaming at the mouth, as is the media, hoping like, to be relevant again. Like the flag, is it full staff? Definitely presented. <laughs> oh, man. So in almost Dr. Fauci-like fashion, that guy. Tony Blinken was wheeled out over the weekend to do the uh, cycle of... Sunday morning news shows. Probably one of the biggest wieners of the Biden administration. Weenie. So embarrassing. Yeah, former Susan Rice staffer and uh, all-around douchebag mm -hmm. who's, who's got, who's garnered no respect from our international uh, interests abroad. Went on and tried to defend the uh, administration for giving the just the tip narrative last week via the Joe Biden presser. Um, we've got three clips for us with, with Tony and, uh, we're going to kind of start to unpack how they're, uh, just a tip just for a second to, yeah. just to feel how losing all credibility feels in here. Jack, it's just a minor incursion. Yeah. How they kind of started walking back the narrative of, uh, saber rattling at our, uh, calming friends over there in Russia. It's a plastic saber. Mm-hmm. different kinds of, of aggression. Let's talk about one specific potential. Russian-backed forces currently occupy part, but not all, of the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine. Dumbass. Would seizing or recognizing Close. the entire Donbass region qualify as an invasion and result in the crippling sanctions that you're threatening? If a single additional <laughs> Russian force goes into Ukraine uh, in an aggressive way, uh, as I uh, said, that would trigger uh, a swift, a severe, uh -huh. and a united response uh, from us uh, uh -huh. and from Europe. Uh, yeah. And again, uh -huh. there are other things that Russia could do uh, that fall short of actually sending uh, additional forces into Ukraine. Uh -huh. uh, and again, across the board, uh, we're prepared with Europe uh, for a swift uh, and calibrated uh, and great united response. Uh -huh. We're looking at every single scenario, preparing for every single one. President Biden said an invasion would be the most consequential thing that's happened in the world in terms of war and peace since World War II. I was going to say, why? since January 6th. He's exactly right. And again, this underscores why this is so important, not just for, uh, for Ukraine, uh, not just for Russia, not just for Europe and the United States, but for the world. Because what's at stake here, Dana, are some very basic principles of international relations that have been established since two world wars and a Cold War that have kept peace and security. Principles like one nation can't go in by force. I just want to give him a wedgie and take his lunch money. Principles <laughs> like one nation can't dictate to another. It's policies, it's choices, uh, including with whom it will associate. A principle like uh, the, the fact that you cannot now in the 21st century purport to exert a sphere of influence to try to subjugate your neighbors to your will. If we allow those things to go forward and stand with impunity, then that opens a Pandora's box that countries Pandemic well box? beyond Europe 
uh, will uh, will see uh, and maybe decide to act on. So you can tell when he's been like gets to the the part where he's been like, all right, this is going to be your your little zinger line. He's reading off the yeah. card because it's like everything else is. <laughs> uh, we are going to. Uh, and then, uh, well, um, the, uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, he sounds like a freaking professor. Like he's probably <laughs> reading off of a teleprompter also. Yeah. Exactly. I think they put the Oz on there for him. He said Dana Bash's name wrong also. Mm. He was asked on uh, face the nation later in the morning, um, by Margaret Brennan about the United States' stance and its weakness in regards to Joe Biden on, on Russian aggression. Let's hear how he kind of weighed in on that one when uh, challenged from that direction. We are proceeding on both paths at the same time. We'll be ready either way. The choice is Vladimir Putin's. But, but what are you negotiating? If Russia's demands are non-starters, I mean, President Biden has already said Ukraine's not going to join NATO anytime soon. You've made this offer of reciprocal military exercises. What's left to talk about? Uh, Margaret, uh, we started this uh, this effort of diplomacy and dialogue about 10 days ago. And in the course of that, uh, uh, Russia has put some ideas on the table uh, uh, in writing to both the United States uh, and NATO. We've been in very close consultation with allies and partners on what they put forward. We are now sharing our own uh, ideas uh, as well as our own uh, deep concerns. And we'll see if uh, in the mix there, there are things that we can do, again, on uh, a reciprocal basis uh, that would actually advance collective security. Uh, in a way that answers uh, some of what we're hearing and Russia answering a, a lot of what they're hearing from us. Uh, you, you think sitting across the table now from some of the uh, largest uh, stone cold uh, killers <laughs> in the world right now, let's just talk about our uh, Russian counterparts, people from Iran or even no, no, it's, uh, Iran, uh, the CCP, um, people who literally uh, murder people. <laughs> almost on a regular basis, have to sit across from Tony Blinken now. Do you think they just, like... They look at him and, like, I just want to choke you to death. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you fucking cockroach. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, it's so embarrassing to hear this guy talk and just to see his physical presence. I couldn't imagine. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. I mean, I'm no longer the hugest fan of Mike Pompeo, but I could just imagine him, like, sitting in a chair, eating, like, some delicious Italian buttered bread. <laughs> crumbs all over his tie and he'd be like man this negotiations aren't really going the way we suspected i would really have to i'd hate to have to use some of those old cia asset cia assets of mine to uh really get our point across here comrade zing yeah and at the at, at the end of the day i think the biggest question is do does anybody feel outside of this podcast community if the biden administration is essentially getting played is russia trying to literally gameplay their projection of a response and yeah. and use that as, as, as kind of a blueprint for the rest of the world. I don't even know if I'd consider it getting played when it just seems like it's basically just coercion and and blackmail to lead yeah. them to just do whatever they they want. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of uh, relevance that goes into that statement. You have to remember, um, there are parts of, of our federal government who claimed Russia did things to insert Donald Trump into the White House. They they also claim that he was a Russian asset for several years until that was debunked and then went and, and used a proxy of, of Ukraine into tying it into the next big scandal. So right. this this could all be a huge big old fuck you to Joe Biden and in turn Barack Obama, who's essentially one of the people that's running the country right now. We all know it, it to be true. Then uh, 
you know, getting back at them for all that shit they've done to smear Russia's name in the in the global community for the last you know half decade. I, li- I like it when people like still bring up that stuff like it's true, and I'm like, yeah. what fucking rock did you crawl off and under just now? Like, oh, me- I'm yeah, sorry, I, I forgot that- CNN said it was true seven thousand times, therefore it's true. Mm-hmm. I've been melted. I think that this is going to end up. Um, to be honest. Like in the long run, I think that Putin, by all this this entire situation, is going to expose the Biden crime family and Hunter and and all the you know special interests in Ukraine and their connection. I think that this is not going to be well. It's not going to end well. No, uh, yeah, there's definitely going to be something that they've been holding on to their wild yeah. card. It's going to be like actual exactly. video of Hunter well, Biden doing something. Horrendous. Yeah, it's just like how Iran had it on on Obama and. And the rest, you know. Yeah, and and then you see the developments today with the uh, John Durham investigation, and some of the developments we've seen today that the Sussman uh, indictment is extremely open and extremely ongoing and extremely spicy. Um, combined with uh, you know a lot of the other things that we know were, were major factors in uh, both Russia Gate and then the Ukraine impeachment, kind of setting up a perfect storm to blow up in their face like just about every other fake narrative that they make, you know, has done over the past couple of years. But at the end of the day, Blinken was asked, did he feel like the United States and, and some of its international allies were getting played? His answer might uh, make you chuckle a little bit. Uh, the, the diplomacy, the, the consistent calls for meetings right now that the Russians are doing, uh, do you think they're genuine about diplomacy or do you think they're just essentially playing out the calendar here um, because they he's not going to upset Xi in the Olympics and essentially we're making it look more legitimate by negotiating. Are you worried that he's playing us a little bit? Look, it's cer- it, it is certainly possible that uh, the diplomacy that Russia is engaged in uh, is simply going through the motions and it won't affect their ultimate decision about whether to invade or in some other way intervene or not in Ukraine. He was so exhausted by the end of running that circuit and that's just not in his uh, wheelhouse of, of, of ways to get the message out. I can only imagine him sitting across from the negotiating table with some of the you know, bigs from all over the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, Pretty embarrassing to say the least. And uh, definitely not a strong representation of the things that, you know, we want our national defense being negotiated on um, throughout the world. Someone else who's also extremely unqualified for his job and does a horrible one of it is uh, the Pentagon press secretary, John Kirby, also a former low level Obama staffer who's moved into a, you know, higher ranking position now in the Biden regime, and he was asked about sending troops to Ukraine. Uh, you know, we, we've all heard over the weekend that there was as many as 8,500 to 10,000 troops who were being put on standby for immediate lift into the theater. And uh, let's hear how he kind of weighed in on about sending them there. Jen. John, can you rule out sending U.S. troops to Ukraine? Uh, that, that is, uh, I think the president has already spoken to that. As you know, uh, Jen, we already do have uh, advisors uh, and some trainers in Ukraine. They are still there at their work. So if you're not willing to send troops to Ukraine, what makes you think that this is going to deter Vladimir Putin? I think there's a whole package of things that the administration is looking at to try to uh, deter Vladimir Putin from another incursion, including very severe mm. economic consequences. Um, this is uh, this is about sending a strong message uh, that we're committed to NATO and we're committed to uh, assuring that our allies have the capabilities they need in case they need to defend themselves. Do you think someone who really holds a little over a third of the world's oil in addition to 
the country who invented the black market, can you really internationally and economically sanction them successfully? Nope. I mean, it's going to be a stretch. It's like, you want to sanction us for all of these things that I'm just going to make barrels of gas $300 a gallon or a barrel now. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. You played yourself. Insert uh, DJ Khaled gif here. Oof. What do you what do you think, Antoinette? Do you, I mean, you know, you're you're kind of a pseudo expert in the region, geographically speaking, and uh, you know when 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 you see these things about sanctioning their world level markets and currency, do you think that really has the effect on it that the United States would want to project as like a legitimate consequence for invading another country? Absolutely not, and I think Putin's laughing his ass off at the moment. Would you say it's all the way to the bank? All the way to the bank. Nice. I'd love to see his reaction to like, for example, when Kamala, I'm sure you've seen the video when she like touched on the subject. I'd love to see his reaction and what he says and be a fly on the wall when he sees these people. Oh, well, we're definitely going to hear that. But before we do, one of the only actual journalistic legitimate questions was asked to Jen Psaki yesterday during her press conference in regards to this whole wagging of the dog between Russia, Ukraine, mm-hmm. NATO and friends. And, uh, I thought it was it was a really well thought out question. It was definitely to the point, and uh, let's hear it right now. Uh, last year, more than sixty percent of the alliance's thirty members, including half of the Bucharest Nine, that are right uh, near Russia, there um, failed to meet that uh, their two uh, percent GDP spending commitment. Um, if Europeans aren't willing to expend uh, blood and treasure on their self defense, why should Americans be expected to do so? Well, we are continuing to advocate for um, all members to uh, reach uh, the 2% goal. That has been the the president's position since he was the vice president, Um, so for many years now. Uh, I would say that uh, we have a sacred obligation under NATO, uh, and we believe it is also in our interest to support our eastern flank countries uh, and, and their security, and also to be clear about uh, the, uh, the value we have as Americans, which is that no country should be able to take with force um, another country as, as Russia is attempting to do at this point. Well, they made a really excellent point in saying if the European allies there, number one, don't have the military might to stop Russia, and number two, won't even contribute their 2% of the overall funding that it takes to support NATO financially, then why does the blood of the Americans who pay well, well, larger amounts than that and essentially funds NATO itself should be the one to send troops over there to, uh, you know, intervene in any kind of incursion or invasion of uh, Russia into Ukraine? Exactly. They shouldn't. So many Ukrainians agree. They they believe that Ukraine is Russia. You yeah. know, if this is all this is all bullshit politics and corruption and and there's no real like. I mean, it's pathetic if you ask me. There's no need for us to get involved. Let Putin do his thing. You know. Yeah, obviously we don't want him to take over the world, but no. But I mean, it's this is like a a conflict that's been going on for a long time, and mm-hmm. I think people should have a say in what they want. They they would. I've kind of been following this on and off for years. I mean, I've seen countless Ukrainians say that they are Russia. They like Putin. They don't care if he comes and takes Ukraine. Yeah, it's not like their government has been an upstanding citizen in the global community exactly. either. 
Exactly. So, and if they're not going to be admitted to NATO, then what, what essentially are they? They're just a, a little right. satellite nation, super corrupt, a lot of organized crime there and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. bad business dealings and, you know, they make their oh, bread and oh. butter right off of, off of natural gas and energy. And, uh, you know, that's the only way that they, uh, you know, they stay afloat. So it, it's, it's one of those things where I thought it was a really good question. It's one that's usually not asked. She gets a lot of softballs other than, you know, from than the usuals and, uh, you know, one who, who who's also used to getting softballs, sometimes hard ones. Kamala Harris Ooh. was asked when she stepped off of uh, Air Force, whatever, two, three. Damn. There you go. Um, and, and wanted to uh, have her give a hot take on it. Let's hear her on the tarmac talking about uh, what's going on over there right now. Hi, guys. I know you've been asking about Ukraine. So here's the deal. First of all, um, deal, I am being briefed on a constant basis by my national security team. And uh, as you know, the president, I, and other members of our administration have been in active discussions with our allies and partners around the globe, Mm. um, in particular in Europe. She sounds like she doesn't give a shit. The bottom line is that we have been clear. Or she doesn't know what she's talking about as usual. For quite some time, that we respect the territorial integrity and sovereignty of of Ukraine, and we expect that Russia would do the same, and any aggressive action taken by Vladimir Putin will be met with severe consequences. Uh, yeah. uh, the ball okay. is <laughs> clearly in his court. I can't tell you what he's going to do, but we are prepared to take decisive action if he moves in an aggressive manner into Ukraine. So. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, everyone. Fuck off, guys. When did one of her staffers <laughs> or someone that walked, worked in her office literally say, like, from here on out, regardless of where it is, you're going to talk only the way Barack Obama did when he gave yeah. speeches? Yeah. That's we are clear. now at a point <laughs> where we can only determine that we respect the borders and sanctity of. Here's the deal. <laughs> and I'm just, I, it sounds like it's essentially Obama in a wig anyways. Yeah. Uh, with a little higher body count. And I'm sure. I just like the, the staffers doing the, okay, thanks everybody. Th-. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I'm sure it's happened in the past, but I don't remember it being so Mm-mm. prominent. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a fucking goon squad rolls out. Like, as soon as like, oh, don't answer, don't answer any of these other questions. And just like, I'm surprised they don't have fucking air horns. Like, Mer-p. they wish they had one last night at the, uh, Ah! At the Joe Biden gaffe, but we'll we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Um, Stephen Miller, former top Trump admin official and one of the big three, in addition to Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino, who lasted the entirety of the uh, Trump campaign through the end of the first administration, was on a, a show I saw on Monday and, and was kind of weighing in, giving a little bit of a take on this. I thought it wasn't bad. Um, you, you know, he's really into that whole geopolitical spectrum and uh whether he's talking about you know peace through strength or uh, the sovereignty and uh how important it is to have secure borders his takes are always really solid um he joined jesse waters on his first show on fox news last night and uh, i'm gonna play a clip right here now of him giving an overall take on the uh wagon of the dog that's going on between russia and ukraine get polling delivered to him in the oval every day he's got to see the crime's killing him. It's killing the American people. It's killing his poll numbers. Is that registering or not? 
I don't think anything is registering through Joe Biden right now. I'm sure if you asked him, he couldn't tell you what day of the week it was, and I doubt he could tell you what month it is. But here's the tragedy. Our people are suffering. They feel unsafe to leave their homes. Yep. They feel unsafe to send their kids to school. Yep. And because of our open border, we are seeing a crime wave and a drug wave and a trafficking wave in this country mm. that is more reminiscent of the third world. And it all is because of the choices that he made. So you'll excuse me if I'm not interested in what he has to say about Ukraine when our country is in a state of misery. Pretty optimistic yeah. outlook right there. Do you think uh, Ducey's going to ask uh, Biden what month it is next? That'd be a good one. Oh, can you imagine? That would be so funny. Well, the earpiece would spring to life, I'm sure, and tell him. Yeah, so, 2020. He, he fucks it up all the time on his own, anyways. 1947. Him, right? I remember. Oh. Yeah, I remember when Jesus was crucified. <laughs> Well, so that's kind of where we're at with that. Today is It would have been less severe if he was vaccinated. Again. <laughs> at least you didn't die. And like I was saying, we're, we're at Tuesday. Joe Biden gave a, a, a hot take today. It was a short comment, so I didn't pull it for the show, and he just asked if we thought that at the end of the day would military troops be engaging Russian military forces on the Ukraine border, to which Joe Biden gave out an extremely long and thorough, detailed explanation. I'll quote it now. No! <laughs> before getting ushered into a room to some meeting he was going to. And that kind of wraps up the uh, whole Russia v. Ukraine remix that we're kind of in right now. And, uh, you know, we're just going to have to play it by ear. I think it's uh, overallly a big distraction. It's definitely yeah. taken away from the huge two disastrous weeks that the administration has incurred in regards to Build Back Better getting killed, voter rights the next week, and then you had the Biden presser, which wasn't viewed widely as an overall disaster. And I'm talking about a lot of the progressive legacy media talk shows were killing it. So I know it's just not shows like this where you're hearing, you know, that kind of commentary. Um, it was as bad as advertised and even worse when you had to listen to it like we played for you on our Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast last week. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to track and bring you guys the information as it, as it kind of comes out. But we kind of just wanted to, as we do with all things, wait for it, the story to kind of develop and then paint you a little bit of picture. And as it, it becomes relevant or not, we'll add it, you know, continually into the show moving forward. Right now we're getting ready to sit down with uh, Dan Crenshaw's primary challenger in a house race for Texas 2, uh, Jameson Ellis. And he's jumping on right now to join us on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. All right, joining us first today. He's uh, running in Texas, too, and he's fighting to restore liberty, refund the police, and make America great again. He's also the uh, midterm election challenger to our least favorite pirate, Dan Crenshaw. Man. Mr. Jameson Ellis, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. No, I definitely appreciate you having me. I did want to make one correction, though. It's not to make America great again. It's make America America again. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I think either way, we're good. Yeah, yeah, we'll be pretty solid there. How's it going with you, sir, on your end? Uh, it's. I'm not going to lie. It's been a fight, uh, but uh, but it's going good. You know, we're finding out that uh, that people all over the place are sick and tired of status quo politics. They're sick and tired of the inauthenticity. Uh, they're looking for just real people. They're looking for people that uh, aren't afraid of their their past. That are just that understand the struggle of what it's like to 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 live in Joe Biden's America or Corn Pop's America. Oof. And uh, and that's de that's definitely me. And so I'm I'm just a regular guy that made a decision to run. And 
you know, and, and there's, there's a, there's a huge backstory to that. So if you guys ever want to get into that, that's fine, but just know it's probably going to take five, five to seven minutes for me to explain the whole thing. <laughs> All right. L- let's jump right into it then. So what's your backstory and motivation to run right now? <laughs> yeah, well, so, uh, so for the past few years, I've been, uh, been working with a nonprofit called Bridge the Blue. I actually help run that nonprofit. And I'm also the creative director. Um, and uh, May 25th uh, is, is, is a day that's important to me for uh, the main reason, because it's my birthday, but May 25th of 2020 specifically um, was a very rough day. That's the day the George Floyd incident happened. And then what we saw is between, it was May 25th, between May 25th, I think it was July 30th uh, or so, 31st, over the next 60 days, uh, there were over 500 declared riots and over 2000 law enforcement officers injured the line of duty. And that's in a 60 day period, guys. So when I looked at our at our government leaders, not just not just at the federal level, but also locally, right. um, a lot of them didn't do anything. They sat on their butts, uh, and then you had others that actually incited more violence. And so uh, we were in the middle of of what we call a blue crew live. That's what we call our supporter uh, our supporters. And we have a community on Facebook of over a hundred thousand. It's a mixture of both law enforcement and law enforcement supporters. So we were we're doing a blue crew live, and uh, you know, and I believe that what God was showing me that what's going on with BLM and Tifa, it's a Marxist agenda. And so what's going on, it's a symptom of a much deeper issue. And uh, and we need to treat symptoms. I believe that, but if we don't get down to the root issues, then these things are just going to keep happening over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. And so, um, a couple of weeks later, I get a I get a a, a message from somebody. And, and well, let me back up for a second. In that moment on that Blue Crew Live, I knew I wanted to do more. Uh, I just didn't necessarily know what that looked like. But what I what I heard in my heart was was Congress which kind of scared me because as you can see from the way that I look right now, I'm not, uh, I'm not a politician. I'm just a regular, I'm a regular guy. Uh, and so I'm like, I ain't wearing a suit, you know, like I'm not, I'm not getting all dressed up and, and anyway, so, uh, but that, that, that was what, what God put on my heart. A couple of weeks later, I get a message from a gal that lives out of Wichita falls. Uh, she didn't know me. I didn't know her. Um, she learned about me through bridge the blue. And she said that, you know, she was said she was uh, having some prayer time and she saw me in Congress and God showed her me in Congress. So she showed she shared that with me, uh, said you hadn't, uh, you know, told anybody about it, which I hadn't. I kept that to myself because it was a little embarrassing to think of me being in Congress because I'm not a politician. And so uh, I, I kind of put that on the back burner. I, find, I did talk to my wife about it that night, uh, and I kept it between me and her. I didn't tell anybody else because, again, I feel like people are going to laugh at me <laughs> if I tell them, hey, are they going to run for Congress? Like, you? Um, so anyway, so we, we started our own charity called One Nation Project because, again, I wanted to do something. You know, we needed to, we needed to do something. And then uh, earlier this year, my buddy John calls me, and this is, I think, March or April, and he says, hey, did you hear that Kevin Brady isn't going to be running for reelection? Now, at, at the time, I lived in Congressional District 8. Okay. And so uh, when he told me that, I was like, no, I, I didn't know that. And then I, I felt like I heard God tell me that th- this is your time. And uh, so I told him, I was like, you know, I think I might run. And he was like, are you serious? And I'm like, I think so. <laughs> I was like, let me go home. I want to think about it, pray about it, talk to my wife. Um, because I think a lot of people do things without counting the cost. Right. Um, they don't count the cost of the hard work, what it's going to take, having their name drug through the mud, the, all of the stuff that goes on with doing something like this. And so I wanted to make sure that I counted the cost. 
And I really thought about, am I willing to be attacked by trolls? Am I willing to have my past put on blast? Um, am I willing for all of this stuff uh, to happen and to put in the work that it's going to take to get the job done? So I made the decision that, uh, that I was willing to do that. And I woke up the next morning. I had a piece about running. But I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was I was scared crapless um, because it's a it's a fear of the unknown, right? I'm not a politician. I've never, never done this before, so I didn't know what to expect. So I called John and I was like, "Yeah, man, I'm going to go ahead and do it." Now, and I was like, "But man, I'm going to need your help because I really don't know what I'm doing." Uh, so went to bed that night, woke up, uh, all the fear was gone, and my attitude was, uh, "How many butts do we have to kick to get the job done?" So. We started off Congressional District 8. Uh, I was up against people like uh, Morgan Luttrell, uh, Jonathan Houlihan, and uh, we gained a lot of momentum despite me being a nobody, despite me not having a big name outside of our law enforcement community. Um, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, Texas decided to add two new districts, which we knew was happening, mm-hmm. but we didn't know what the redistricting was going to look like. So there was a lot of gerrymandering that went on. And the part of Conroe, Texas that I live in that was previously con- Congressional District 8 uh, wound up uh, being in Congressional District 2 once the lines were finalized. And I've always believed that uh, that a congressman or a candidate needs to run or, uh, to represent the district in which they live. And uh, so if I'm going to stay true to that, I had to make a decision. Am I going to stay in eight and uproot and move somewhere else uh, in the district? Or am I going to stay in my house and run in Congressional District 2? So I decided to run in Congressional District 2 and I stayed put. And so that's that's how I wound up uh, running against Dan Crenshaw. I didn't start off in this race to run against Dan Crenshaw. And I've, that, that's definitely no secret. Uh, I started off in this race because I wanted to make a difference and because I wanted to do more. Um, and one last thing that I'll mention here, because uh, I like to do I like to do research. So one of the things that I found out is uh, we have four hundred and thirty five voting members of the House, uh, less than 40 actually have conservative voting records. And just so that you guys know what I'm using to, to determine that. So I go to libertyscore.conservativereview.com and I look up all of the, the voting members of the House and I look at their, their liberty score. And if they have 80% or above, and that's kind of been my metric, if they have 80% or above, then I'll consider them conservative because a, you know a, a B is not bad. Now I've had some people tell me if they're if they're below an A, if they have less than ninety percent, I would call them a conservative. I'm a little bit more lenient, I guess. So uh, anyway, so that's what I used for that metric uh, when I looked at Texas. So Texas has had thirty six congressional districts. We just added two more, but thirty six. So people always say keep Texas red. Right. The problem is Texas ain't red; it's purple. Out of 36 districts here in Texas, less than 13 have true conservative representation. And so we have a problem in this country, and everybody wants to blame Democrats for the 2020 election. They want to blame Democrats for all the Marxism, for, all, for the BLM. They want to blame Democrats for where we're at as a nation today. And I don't do I don't do that. I don't blame Democrats because I look at it this way. Democrats have always acted and voted like Democrats. That's never going to change. Yes. What I take issue with is Republicans that act and vote like Democrats. And so uh, and, and I just so happen to be running in a district where we have a congressman that has a 74 percent liberty score. And when you look at the not only his his vote voting record, but also his actions, um, that, that tells a story in and of itself. So, yeah, no, that's a, that's an amazing 
origin story for you, and I'm sure it's been a pretty uh, whirlwind of a trip the last, you know, half year or so getting to where you're at right now. Um, you know, you, you talk about back in the blue and the men and women in uniform. That's something that we definitely, you know, preach on this show and, and, and appreciate you for, for being a candidate who's uh, really open about that. I don't think uh, anyone who's not in maybe law enforcement understands how hard that job is, not only on the people that are doing it, but their families and how it affects their communities, et cetera. And, and for someone to be such a staunch advocate of that, uh, we definitely give you a lot of credit. And uh, now where you're at, so like you said, after the redistricting and stuff, you you wind up in, uh, you know, Texas too. And, and that's with, uh, you know, a midterm election primary challenge to Dan Crenshaw. Uh, you mentioned the voting record and, and we've talked about it in extent on this show. You know, we, we, we've seen and, uh, Kind of outlined a lot of his stuff over the years, the uh, voting for open borders and siding with Nancy Pelosi and some legislation, red flag gun law, um, backdoor committee meeting negotiations in regards to that as well. Uh, He has participated, albeit years ago in the World Economic Forum, young conservatives or young globalists whatever events. And then, you know, some of the things we've seen over just the past year, we've seen him get into it with, uh, you know, some of our blue collar workers. Uh, we've seen him get into it with uh, um, congressional candidate Bobby Python at an election integrity yep. event. And, uh, you know, just recently we saw him get into it with a young gal who, you know, we, we all shared and watched and, and, and put it out there for our listenership to hear, too. The exact clip in total context from that interview he did where he talked about Superman and Jesus and kind of compared them as like mythological beasts and uh, you know, her kind of asking him to clarify it and and him losing it. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, that's kind of what you're running up against. And when, you know, you ask about how making America, America again, your district is, how's the reception been since you've gotten, uh, you know, everything redistricted and you out there. Um, Well, I'm finding out that, um, a lot of people don't know that there's somebody primarying Dan Crenshaw. Right. And so they think they don't have any other options. Um, but the people that we, and there's been a lot of people that we have been able to reach. And and the thing that I know that is scaring Crenshaw half to death right now is these are actually influential people that have helped get him, helped get him elected in the first place. So our message has, has reached their ears as well. I mean, heck, last week I had an interview with Jenna Ellis, you know, like that was such such an honor and, and a privilege in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Um, and so uh, our message is resonating with people. And my message is simply this. Um, I am someone that feels very disenfranchised by a party that's supposed to be pro-liberty and wants less government. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, when you look at, at 2008, they gave us John McCain. In 2012, they gave us Mitt Romney. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I'm not ashamed of is my voting record. So I I've never voted in a primary. Well, Jameson, what do you mean? You've never voted in a primary because I'm a product of the system. You know, most people don't vote less people vote in primaries and less people vote in midterms. I really didn't understand primaries until maybe six months ago. Like I knew that they existed. I just didn't really know what they were really about, you know, 
Um, and I kind of understood it from a presidential standpoint because, you know, you guys all remember, you know, 26 or 2015, 2016, whenever Trump was running and, yeah. you know, and, and he had that. So, I mean, I kind of understood it. Right. But I didn't really understand it, if that makes sense. And I'm finding out most people don't. In, in the gubernatorial race right now here in Texas, you have people that that want to vote for Abbott because we can't afford to let Beto win. It's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. You do understand that. If you vote for Prather, Huffines, or West, you do understand that if you vote for them and they win, that they're the most likely candidate to actually beat Beto, right? Yes. But people don't understand the primaries. And so uh, I'm a product of that. The, the system is set up to keep the to keep the elites in office. It's set up to keep career politicians in office, and it's set up to keep us ignorant. And here's the thing. We're all taught not to talk about two things, politics and religion. And, and, and what's been the result? The result has been a, a, misunder, a, a grave misunderstanding of both. And the other thing that I want to mention here is because I had somebody I talked to that uh, last week that were like, well, you know, voting is extremely important to me. And I'm like, well, yeah, but, I'm, but, I, but I wonder why. And, and we've been voting in people that vote in primaries, that do all of the right things. And what's been the result? Like, so we can either keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, using the same standards that we've been using. And, ex and, and if we expect something to be different and we expect a different result, that's the definition of insanity, right? Yep. Why not take a chance on somebody that has been a product of the system that understand that was, I'm somebody that was woken up or reawakened, if you will, by Trump. Yeah. Whenever I saw what happened in 2020, the entire summer of 2020 and then going into the presidential election, I saw all of that stuff. And we're not just talking about with law enforcement. We're talking about even, even with COVID whenever I saw all of that stuff. And then I saw them actually, and I don't know where this is going. So I don't want to use certain words. I don't want you guys to get banned, but whenever we saw what happened with the 2020 election, um, that that woke me up in a big way. You can use all the words. So why not why not take a chance on an average, ordinary, everyday person that is not perfect, that has a past, that has their own struggles, but has been very open about everything that I've ever done, everything that I've ever been through? Because at the end of the day, the swamp, what they do is they they find out about your past and then they hold it over you and they claim and, and they they threaten to expose you yep. if you don't go along with their agenda mm -hmm. and then they'll try to put you into precarious situations while you're there so they can also blackmail you in that regard and so you know if you're looking for a perfect candidate if you're looking for somebody that that has a, a perfect background some if you're looking for somebody that's never been arrested if you're looking for somebody i'm not your guy i'm a regular guy now <laughs> talk about the arrest really quick. So that was actually for traffic violations. So it's nothing major, but guys, I'm just a regular person that's sick and tired and fed up. I want to go to Congress for eight years. I've, I've, uh, I've made a commitment uh, to only serve four terms. I believe in term limits. And, uh, and, and, and I want to, I want to be a statesman. I want to have the honor of being called a statesman. And, um, and, and my goal is to uh, not necessarily write new legislation because I think Government's big enough. We need to shrink government back mm -hmm. into its rightful jurisdiction. Right. But I, it, but any new legislation that I write is going to be to repeal bad legislation. Yeah. And then I want to make sure I'm voting down all of the bad legislation. Yeah. There's been a lot of bad legislation for the last calendar year, to Eesh. say the least. Gross. <laughs> so, well, that's that's good to Let's hear. Let's go, Brandon. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what a stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> 
Um, well, I, I do want to touch on some of the uh, some of the pillars of, the, of your campaign that you're running on right now. So, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things that, that are important to someone who, who lives down in Texas. Probably you already talked about the purpleness of the state, so election integrity and, and, and all that fun voter stuff. And then you obviously have the southern border there and the huge issues that that's been. And I'm sure national defense is something that identifies with you being a supporter of uh, – law enforcement and whatnot, what are some of the big things that you're, uh, you know, using on your platform right now to really get the word out to the constituents of Texas too? Well, I mean, uh, really, our, like I said, our message is really about being pro-liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have a belief that everything the federal government touches, uh, it destroys. And so that, that's, that's really been our message. Um, our message has, has been, um, well, and, and I always throw the question out there, can you name one thing that government has touched that it's ever made better? Um, there's also a lot of uh, a lot of talk about, you know, CRT. And, and the truth is, is you can ban CRT, but all they're going to do is they're going to they're going to uh, they're going to repackage it. Yep. Right. So, you know, I think that what we need to do is we need to defund the Department of Education. Um, we need to uh, to defund all of these three-letter agencies, all of these departments of, and we need to get them out of the way because they only make things worse. I believe we need, need to get back to personal responsibility. We need to, to, to put education back into the hands of the parents and let parents be parents. Um, and so th- that's basically what our message is. Our, our message is, is pro-liberty and not no government, but less government. And so that that's that's been our primary message. And then also, uh, I fully recognize that it's not just Republicans, it's Democrats, too. Like so many people are fed up and, and they feel disenfranchised by their parties. I think there's oh, a yeah. lot of people that are waking up and they're recognizing that they've been believing in JFK's Democrat Party for so long. And they're finally waking up to the fact that this isn't the Democrat Party of JFK. Not by a long um, shot. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I believe that if JFK were alive today, he would be a conservative. And you, you look at JFK's platform, I and mean, the one thing that really sticks out is, you know, try finding a Democrat today that's, that's going to say, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Yeah. Uh, Democrat wouldn't say that today. Like, no, we need you to depend on us. We need you to stay on the Democrat plantation. We need, you know what I mean? It's like that. That's that's what we need. Um, and so, no Democrat's gonna gonna say that today. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, it certainly is, and uh, one that we don't point out enough on this show. I'm glad you brought it up, Jameson. Uh, you know, this has been pretty awesome getting to sit down and know you today. Uh, it's it's one of the things that uh, you know I don't think people take into consideration enough how. A lot of these regular people, we keep hearing these stories over and over again, whether or not they were in the military or they were business owners, you know, everybody from the Joe Kents and Mike Collins of the world's all the way up to the people who are, who are already in politics and just aren't satisfied with, you know, the stuff that's going on inside the Beltway, like the Steve Kerr's, the Anthony Sabatini's that make up this amazing pool of uh, just really great candidates for the uh, midterm elections this year. And that's why we invite you guys on the show, and that's why we're going to continue to track and support you guys along the way. Our listenership is also very uh, supportive and interactive. They are going to share your social medias and help you out donating to your campaign. So for everyone that's going to be listening to the show today, why don't you tell us about your uh, your website? We'll also live link your charity as well, and then some of your social medias where they could find you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my website's just jamesonellis.com, J-A-M-E-S-O-N, like the whiskey, and then L-S-E-L-L-I-S.com. My social media handle across all platforms is at the Jameson Ellis. And so that's that's Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, Gitter, Gab, 
um, and YouTube, although YouTube, we don't have enough views to get our own, our own handle. We're not that special yet, <laughs> mm, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, so we're on all the social, the, the social medias. Um, and, and I want to say this about my website. So I've had some people say, why isn't there more information on your website? Um, me being a, a self-employed small business owner and doing websites for a living, uh, I know that people don't really read the minutia. They read bullet points and headlines because we have the attention spans of goldfish nowadays. Yep. Um, and so if you really want to, to get to know more, I want to encourage you guys to go to my social media. That's where I engage the most. Uh, websites are are basically monologues, right? It's it's one-way communication. Social media is two-way communication. If you have a question for me, um, you know, go on social media, you know, join the conversation there. I'm, I try to be as responsive as possible, although lately it's been difficult to be as responsive as I was, but I don't have anybody uh, that is managing my social media for me. So whenever you get a response from Jameson Ellis, uh, it's coming directly from me. Mm-hmm. So join the conversation there. Nice. You appearing on the show today is an attestment to that. Yeah. So. Plus, you got a pretty fire Twitter. I'm, I'm going to have to admit it. It's uh, <laughs> it's pretty spicy, and we like it. I think that was the first thing that caught my eye. And then when I kind of put the whole equation together of uh, after the redistricting of where you're running and who you're running against, it was like an immediate reach out. We need to get this guy on the show because he's doing the things that he needs to do to, uh, you know, get this country back on the right track. So it, it was great to have you on today. And uh, sometime before the primary, hopefully, we could uh, circle back and, and have you stop by for an update and, uh, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time to come join us. No, I appreciate it. Can I have just a few more seconds to address one more thing? As much time as you need. Okay. So I want to address this because Crenshaw's trolls have been coming out. <laughs> and uh, and if, imagine that. They've basically, well, they've basically been, uh, been saying, you know, how can Jameson say that he supports Trump, but then gets mad at Crenshaw whenever Crenshaw – uh, supported Trump 90, what, 96, 97% of the time or what have you. So uh, I want everybody to know that that's an easy thing to, or that's an easy question to answer. So with Trump, I knew what I was getting. He, he let us know from the very get-go who he was, as if we didn't already know, and, uh, and what his agenda was. So I'm, I'm, I'll be the first person to admit, and I'm not ashamed to admit, and it doesn't mean that I love Trump any less. Trump isn't a hardcore original intent constitutionalist, right? No. Um, that's not why we voted him in, though. We voted him in because we knew that we needed a fighter in office that was going to expose all the corruption. The reason why I can support Trump and not support somebody like Dan Crenshaw is because Dan Crenshaw actually did run as an actual conservative. And he has uh, violated that word that he ran on. Trump lived up to everything. And one last thing I want to say, because I had somebody send me uh, send me a deal about, well, you know, if you're going to hate on Crenshaw for voting for red flag laws, how do you explain this? And it was a video of Trump and Pence and, and a few other people. It was a big like roundtable, if you will. And they were talking about the incident that happened at that school. I think it was in El Paso. Uh-huh. And like, what do we do? Right. And Trump was talking about, you know, Red flag laws. He's like, I think that we should take the guns and suspend, suspend due process, due, due process after the fact. And uh, but here's what people aren't recognizing is that Trump was a populist. So whenever his base told him absolutely not. Trump forgot the, the entire thing. People need to understand that Trump actually listened to his constituents. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I want to make sure I throw out there because I, and I don't know who else that might help. Uh, you know, if you're confronted with people that, uh, that don't like Trump, um, 
And then they want to do like what they did with me. Well, how can you support Trump and not Dan Crenshaw? So if you if you take the time to really think about it, um, there there's plenty of reasons why you can support one and not the other. So, yeah, that, I mean, that makes a whole lot of sense. And, you know, it goes back to the, uh, the the big issue here. It's not, you know, Dan Crenshaw is kind of he uses like hypnosis on on large groups to kind of build. <laughs> it's not even like the trolls, like when he goes and speaks to the military, like we uh, are thankful for Dan Crenshaw for his service to our country, for the sacrifices he made while in the theater of war, the parts of his body that he left in foreign countries, et cetera. But it's just some of the things that he's done really stand out as now I'm going to use really bad pun here, a red flag Mm. when he's voting (laughs) on things like that, when he's rubbing elbows with globalists at the world economic forum, when he's yelling at 11 year old girls and, you know, when he's saying that this was the most safest and secure election in the history of the galaxy, like a lot of those things he say don't identify and line up with Trump era policies. And those are America first policies. And if you're the candidate that's running that wants to make America America again, then I'm pretty sure that you're ideologically line up with those a little bit more than Dan Crenshaw has of lately. And all we have is the receipts that he gives us. So mm-hmm. it, it makes a whole lot of sense and it, it leads the listenership to go and, and do their own research and hopefully, you know, be backing you in the uh, in the primary election coming up. Absolutely. And she, she's 18, by the way. Um, her name is Lana. So she is a supporter of mine. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation that I asked her to do that. And uh, I put out a video last week. Uh, actually, I interviewed her. So I did not ask her to confront Crenshaw. The reason why we why I was there was because of Lana. Right. So I was initially going to go to the Kingwood Tea Party meeting because uh, Abbott was going to be there. Nice. And then Lana called me and was like, hey, did you know that Crenshaw is going to be at Montgomery County Tea Party? And I said, no, I had no idea. She's like, yeah. She's like, I'm going to be there. And uh, I was like, OK. So so we went and she asked that question of her own volition. I didn't ask her to ask that. So she is 18 years old. She's very, uh, she's very petite, but, um, but she is 18 years old. And so she's a grown adult. And, uh, and I thought that her bravery for doing that and asking for that clarification, what we need is we need more people like her. Yes, we and do. the one thing that, and the one thing that I'll say about Crenshaw's response to that is as the Republican party, we have really struggled to engage uh, both millennials as well as Gen X. I'm sorry, not Gen X, Gen Z. And so uh, he had an opportunity there to build a bridge mm-hmm. with a Gen, a Gen Zer. And instead of building a bridge, he burned a bridge. Mm-hmm. And so yep. uh, I think that that's, that's something that we need to look at is, is that the kind of person that we want representing the Republican Party, uh, the Party of Liberty? Um, or do we want somebody that's willing to take the hard question and look at this as an opportunity to build a, bre- a bridge instead of burn one? So. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point there. And uh, you, you mentioned that she's a supporter. She's a real fire breather. You better her have her getting out there on the road and, and helping out more as your, uh, you know, campaign season continues to develop. Yeah, no, absolutely. She's uh, she's definitely a spitfire and she's she's a good she's a good Christian woman as well. And, uh, and if you guys haven't seen the interview, I highly recommend you, uh, going on Facebook and it's on Facebook as well as YouTube, but checking it out. And uh, when you hear her speak, she has such wisdom for being yep. sent. Now, I will say this, too, is that she is homeschooled. So that might have something to do with Good why she has a little bit more wisdom. <laughs> yeah, definitely goes into it and uh, definitely goes into uh, us wanting to have you back as the uh, as the primaries continue to unfold here. This is the man who's Absolutely. looking to make America America again, running in Texas, too. Primary challenger to Dan Crenshaw, Mr. Jameson Ellis. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. 
All right. Thank you so much. What do you guys think of Jameson Ellis? Pretty solid candidate. Salad. Yep. Backs like the salad. blue. Likes all of the uh, Trump era policies. Definitely a libertarian to say the least. And I, I'd like to see him and Dan Crenshaw eventually get on the debate stage. So I hope the primary season continues to uh, develop that way and, and, and we'll get a little taste of that moving forward. So we had a big weekend in regards to the COVID narrative. So we're going to do a COVID segment. We, I think we've gone three shows without doing a solid one, but it's not going to be the kind of COVID segments that are favorite to Noah. And that's heavy Fauci and friends. Those are his favorites. <laughs> we had the uh, Washington DC and worldwide rally against the mandates, which was, you know, if you saw it on the internet, and over the, the uh, spectrum of social media, is just an amazing thing to watch. You'd only see it on the internet if you're following the legacy underground media. channels. Right. Because I, th- I think Twitter's probably the best place to see stuff like that. Well, it is leaking onto normal media now, and I say normal media lightly. Like the more legacy social media. Yeah. Yeah, well, when, when, you know, when they start <clears throat> to get into the bigger crunchies, the Brussels, the Frances, Germany, Italy, uh, Spain, we saw them. All throughout the world this weekend, and especially in Washington, D.C., the, ras- the rally there was massive. And, and, and the attendance was in the hundreds of thousands, if not more. Um, but unfortunately, we do have to kind of give you both sides of the coin when we talk about this. Because, as we all know, the current regime that's occupying the Oval Office and, and, the, and the executive branch and the cabinets and all the federal agencies right now, they live in an alternative universe that they want to try to create as, as the things that go on inside of like half a dozen major cities across the country, the L.A.'s, the San Francisco's, Chicago's, New York's, D.C.'s, um, Philadelphia's, and places like that. And anyone who is mildly intelligent knows that outside of those enormous shithole cities – that's not just the way the world works. Well, Ukraine is safer than L.A., according to... Uh... And, and that was a great tweet that the uh, Ukraine, <laughs> de- Ukraine defense minister put out in regards to uh, Joe Biden evacuating the embassies for uh, U.S. government officials on Sunday. Um, Rich- that. What's up? He actually tweeted that? Yeah. Yeah, the defense minister of, of Ukraine said, I don't, I don't understand, and I'm like mildly peeved that the United States is, is evacuating their diplomats from our country. There's literally nothing going on, and Ki- <laughs> in Kiev is literally safer, safer than, than Los Angeles. That's so <laughs> funny. So. <laughs> That's a thing. Yeah, it definitely is. And, uh, well, not too far outside Probably of the truth true. either. Rochelle Walensky did a little bit of uh, Sunday morning, not across all the shows, but she was just on one, and it was to uh, – you know, get everybody up to date on what the CDC's new language is in regarding to uh, the vaccinations and stuff, which are continually dying on the vine, even as we speak right now on the show, which we'll get to in a bit. But first, let's hear her. Working to do is pivot the language to make sure that everybody is is as up to date with their COVID-19 vaccines as they personally could be, should be based on when they got their last vaccine. So importantly, right now we're pivoting our language. We really want to make sure people are up to date. That means if you recently got your second dose, you're not eligible for a booster, you're up to date. If you are eligible for a booster and you haven't gotten it, you're not up to date and you need to get your booster in order to be up to date. You hear that, Noah? Wait. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, so now it's no longer fully vaccinated. It's now up to date. 
meeting, there's gonna probably be. Oh, so that's the actual shift. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the shift, though. That's the actual visible shift in the narrative where they're gonna have to drop the whole fully yeah. vaccinated, mm-hmm. just Which up to date. Three. It's like it's like saying your dog's up to date with his, uh, you know, rabies rabies, ra- rabies bullshit. You know, not that that's right. bullshit. And leave like, it open <clears throat> for whatever the hell they want. You know, to push on you later on, which is. Yeah, but it's going to be, I feel like this is leading into, it's just going to be the self thing that you're supposed to do if you're, you know, on that team. Yeah. Right. And, and you know who's the leader of that team? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dr. Mang Merengue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it says fire me. F- donate $5 to Rand Paul and, and, and he'll fire me. It says that on his website. He certainly is. Dr. Fauci jumped on ABC News's. This Week in Review, and, uh, you know, kind of warmed it up a little bit with his whole double speak and all of those things, but then really got down to it as if all the science doesn't directly contradict everything that has to do with trying to vaccinate yourself out of a pandemic, Israel being the most. I think they're cruising on number five. He wants the people in the United States. Five? Fret not. Who's ready for four? What about the next booster shot? For a substantial part of the population, they're now moving into the fifth month of their booster. So does it lose its effectiveness and how soon should they get another one if that's your advice? Well, the answer, Margaret, honestly, is that we don't know because we don't know the durability of protection. Probably the first honest thing he's ever said about it. And the second shot boost of a J&J. Certainly you are going to see the antibody levels go down. That's natural. But there's an element of the immune response, B cell memory and T cell responses, where even though you do see a diminution of antibody levels, it is quite conceivable, and I hope it's true, that the third shot boost will give a much greater durability of protection. We're following that very carefully. And when I say protection, Martha, I mean protection against severe disease. You are going to see breakthrough infections, as we've seen now, even in boosted people, but for the very most part, they're mild or even asymptomatic. That's where we would like to be, is to have that where you don't have to get more and more always every six months with a booster. We may need to boost again. That's entirely conceivable. It's just such a bullshit, unquantifiable thing, like to say that, yeah. it, well, it, it would have been worse if you hadn't done this. It's like, well, how do you, how do you really quantify that, like? I got sick and I just had the flu. Uh-huh. It would have been worse, meaning <clears throat> more people would have survived. <laughs> yeah. It would have been worse the for the numbers. Is, yeah. It's just unbelievable at this point that the, he's making this, the circuit keeps talking pure bullshit lies. We have all the information. We have the proof. The DOD even, I mean, Project Veritas, like, come on, like, What's going on here? Is this like a shaming ritual? Like, are they just like putting him on the pedestal now to say all this bullshit to, you know, be the fall guy, you know, the face of, you know, to distract people? I don't know. I want people to start throwing produce at him. I know. I was just thinking. tomatoes and. I was just thinking lettuce. (laughs) He he never goes out in public anymore. That's that's, that's the. the, Well, would you if you were this fucking guy? (laughs) He's he's a marked man. It says fire me on his website. Fire Dr. Fauci for five dollars. You could fire me. <laughs> I'm down. I got five bucks. There's oh. actual studies and proof 
proving from like from England, from Israel, that this vaccine, every time you get the booster, it destroys your immune system irreparably. Well, he talked about uh, the uh, what the T, not the T cells, but whatever the stuff that uh, the the memory cells, basically. So, yeah, immune response. I mean, it's like what you were saying. It's they've literally basically proven that it inhibits that. Is that what he's yeah, talking about? It's responding because it's getting killed. It's getting destroyed, basically. Believable. The, the viral fiduciaries. Is that what he was talking about there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the vaccine is is the pandemic, people. Like, straight up. Certainly turning it. out to look a lot more that way. Uh, yep. sp- spoiler alert. As of today, w- within the last hour, and you know, you guys will be hearing it throughout the course of the week, I'm sure. Uh, the Biden administration, who lost a Supreme Court case last week where it was ruled that the OSHA mandate for businesses of over 100 employees or more was unconstitutional. The Biden administration today announced that they'd be throwing in the towel and as of January 26th, 2022, will no longer be, um, you know, using that as part of their uh, repertoire to get as many people vaccinated as they can. I wonder how many businesses are going to be like, well, we got to fire these people before January 26th. I know, right? Isn't it literally t- tomorrow? Oh, yeah. Hey, guess what? You hope your phone doesn't ring. Just don't answer it. But it, it, I, really it, wonder, I wonder how this is going to, you know, like the people that got fired, the people who have, you know, had no choice but to quit and whatnot. I wonder how this is going to affect them and work for them like probably well financially and well if they if they quit they fuck themselves because yes. that's the thing exactly. is you cannot quit you can't just be like right. i'm gonna take the high road and quit it's like no you need to let these people fire you exactly and i don't know hypothetically speaking if i was in that situation i'm at the point now where i'm like shit or get off the pot like fire me right. or don't let's just fucking end this mm-hmm. yep Totally. But it's a good step in the right direction for people. That's just kind of leaning towards firing right now. Yeah. All those federal employees and our our men and women who serve in the military. So, but getting back to this, and and now that we've gotten the crap out of the way, we get to the good stuff the rally against the mandates, the defeat, the mandates, and and vaccine freedom marches and rallies going on around the world. We had some of the uh, best speakers in the community out in full force. Um, you know, down on the uh, the mall there in the reflective pool. Uh, first up on the list is Dr. Peter McCullough, one of the heavy hitters. He kind of weighed in. And uh, I'm going to play you a piece from his speech at the rally right now. From a uh, ecologic perspective, they have demonstrated that the vast majority of hospitalizations and deaths that occurred in this country could have been prevented. What was the shortcoming? What was the shortcoming? The shortcoming is we never had a full-throated endorsement from our government agencies, the CDC, the NIH, and the FDA, nor the White House Task Force. Not once, not once did we hear a full-throated endorsement for doctors and healthcare providers. We have a million doctors in the United States. We have half a million nurse practitioners and physician assistants. Not once did we hear an endorsement for our best and compassionate care to each and every American. In fact, we heard the opposite. Mm -hmm. A series of statements, a series of actions, there was effectively a chill put on early treatment. Those efforts, 
that were being put forward by the best doctors in America, those efforts were impeded. He's kind of a stud. I like him. Yeah. Right. And, you know, that just goes into the narrative right there that we've been covering since day one, the killing of, you know, alternative therapies and uh, alternative treatments and therapeutics, you know, that that really help out a lot with this virus. And it was pretty interesting to see that the uh, Joe Biden, I think, today issued, I don't know if it was just, I, I believe it was an executive order, but don't quote me. Um, ending the emergency use authorization for monoclonal antibodies nationwide. Um, yes, much, I saw that. Yeah, much to the dismay of governors like Ron DeSantis and, and Greg Abbott. Um, it's one of those things where they're almost playing their hands so hard now and saying that everybody has to catch this super contagious flu-like strain of the Rona so we can get to herd immunity and get corona in the rearview mirror heading into the midterm seasons because we're just getting crushed by it right now. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where you where you would take something as simple as preventative measures or an instant therapeutic as monoclonal antibody treatments, and if you just say you're not allowed to use it anymore and you're not going to be distributing it federally to the states to give out to the, the sick, the medically incurred, and the elderly, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you want them to catch this virus now, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of their vaccination status. You want people to die, basically, in my yes. opinion. Yes, that is, that is definitely it. I've got back-to-back clips right now, a mini montage of our favorite shakiest voicer, RFK Jr. <laughs> he was there talking about his book, talking about medical freedoms, and uh, firing up the crowd. Let's hear him in uh, a couple clips right now from the medical rally. From different political orientations, from different political parties, from different assumptions and backgrounds, from different races and creeds and colors. We are here for one reason. We love the United States of America. (laughs) And we know And when we say that we love the United States, it means a lot of things. It means we love our history, we love our neighbors, we love our communities, we love our values, we love God. We love all kinds of of versions of God. We, but most of all, and we love our Purple Mountains Majesty, the landscapes that form the basis for this country. Uh, Most of all, it means we love the United States Constitution. And we have witnessed over the past 20 months a coup d'etat against democracy and the demolition, the controlled demolition of the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And starting with the censorship. And James Madison, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson all said the same thing. We put freedom of speech in the First Amendment because all of the other rights that we were trying to protect relied on that right. If you... 
if you give government the license to silence its critics, you have given them the capacity to commit any atrocity they want and to obliterate all the amendments and rights of the Constitution. Well, he's definitely not wrong there. God bless him. That was powerful. Yeah. I definitely think it was great to hear him uh, kind of weigh in from a constitutional uh, standpoint. Yeah. And and remember, he, he's gone and done so many talk shows and, and podcasts talking about his book that comes out that supposedly, you know, exposes Dr. Fauci and all his lies and connections and stuff like that and said, to this day, still, he has not received one legal challenge to that anything in the book. You know, there might mm-hmm. be a period here or a date there. Um, an internship that somebody did along the ways that he's put out. I believe they're in their ninth print in a book that's only been out for maybe about six. Yeah. Ninth print, because he says anytime someone presents something that's like a minor error, he just does another print and takes it out or adjusts it. Yeah. Um, But as far as like suable stuff goes, no, no, not at all. And I've been listening to the audio book. It's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, Here's the second clip from him. It's a little bit shorter, but, but equally as powerful. Really disconcerting part of this pandemic response has been what I call the information chaos. The use, the orchestrated confusion and fear on manipulating PCR tests and over-amplifying them mm-hmm. by changing the metrics on how death certificates are calculated. The complete absence of any good information on case fatality rates or infection fatality rates or all the things that our public health agencies ought to be telling us so that we can individually with our physicians evaluate the risk. Pretty good stuff there. Uh, I saved the best for last, though, of all the ones I listened to. Uh, Of course, Dr. Malone one of the grandfathers of the mRNA technology uh, was there. He's been doing a lot of TV and podcasts lately, uh, probably most notably the War Rooms and the Rogans. Um, But he was there to speak, and everybody was hyped to hear him. And uh, he weighed in with a big take from himself on uh, just this whole thing right now. I come to you with an open heart as a physician committed to healing. Bringing three simple words. He's got a lot smoother at speaking. Each of which ring like bells in the soul of honest people. Integrity. Dignity. Community. Integrity is a commitment to truth in what you say, how you live, how you treat others. Dignity flows from respect for ourselves, for each other, and for the world we live in. Community is what binds us together to each other and gives our lives purpose and meaning. St. Augustine, the doctor of the Roman Catholic Church, famously said, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose, it will defend itself. Yeah. Harry Truman, a warrior against war profiteering, something we could use more of now, famously said, I just tell the truth and they think it's hell. 
These are my truths, and I believe they're self-evident. We should not have politicized the public health response to SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. Regarding the genetic COVID vaccines, the science is settled. They're not working. They are not completely safe. Now we have Omicron. These vaccines were designed for the original Wuhan strain, a different virus. <laughs> Whether they made sense for protecting our elderly and frail from the original virus is irrelevant. So let's stop arguing about that. That was a pretty good piece from Dr. Malone. Yeah. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the clip, he's gotten a lot better at public speaking. He was very shy and you could tell he was like someone that worked in a lab for decades like he did when he first started doing the circuits. I think he's kind of come out of his show a little bit from getting, you know, going up on Bannon's show several times a week. And uh, yeah, he shake the dust off pretty quick with, you know, doing a lot of public speaking. Yeah. It's not easy to do that at all. I mean, people, I mean, I, I used to act and model, right? I mean, you still get nervous before you go in front of a, a crowd of people, even if you've had that experience, you know, for the most part. But I think that when you're speaking in truth and you're around people, you know, like that, like they were, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, it definitely does. And, uh, you know, like I said, on one of our previous shows, it's, it's one of the biggest regrets that he has is, and I'm paraphrasing now is essentially just going to work for 30 years, putting his head down and not realizing all the, uh, yeah. politicization of, you know, big pharma that mm-hmm. was going on around him. I mean, he knew, like he said, that stuff was going on, you know, the money and the the drugs weren't always safe and some of them were super addictive, but he did not invent the MNRA technology or have his input into the invention of it to do this stuff. And, right. uh, you know, he, w- he says he wishes he would have spoke up against Dr. Fauci and a lot of the things that were going on, you know, within our uh, federal agencies that deal with this kind of stuff a long time ago. I was going to say, imagine a lot of like healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses coming to the realization that they were fooled, lied to, and they were a part of the cause of so many deaths and, and, you know, destruction. Imagine that, you know, I, I mean, me personally, if that was me and I had that realization, I would, I wouldn't know what I would do. You know, some people can't probably can't live with the fact that they maybe killed hundreds of people unknowingly. Yeah, I, it's going to be when everything comes out publicly, you know, in the mainstream, because it's inevitable that it does at this point, because so many people are waking up and, you know, it's spreading like wildfire. The media can't even control it anymore, for, you know, for the most part. Yeah, so, well, one of the things that I weighed in on, and this was like a long time ago, maybe a year ago, I think we were still at Nick's when I started talking about the whole COVID narrative with the vaccine when they really started pushing it and stuff, was that, I, you know, it'd be a shame. We all know that there's doctors who essentially took money to kill people who were in the hospitals. And, and that's with the ventilators. Yeah. Knowing, knowingly. Yeah. And, and, and the, what the remdesivir, Remdesivir. Yeah. Remdesivir. Literally the cocktail is like a death, you know, I wonder if the bigger narrative and I'm, I'm still sticking to my guns on this one was, was this to usher out a whole generation of like medically relied on, um, people who just racked up bills that they're never going to pay off and get them free out of here so we can inject 
literally and figuratively an entire new generation of people who are going to be reliant on the medical community for, you know, the rest of their lives with these vaccines. It seems like almost a perfect plan and uh, a super sinister one at that. But they're also going after people who are immunocompromised specifically as well as old people. And you do not vaccinate People who are immunocompromised and that have a very weak immune system. It's just complete ass backwards. So, and then also obviously young children and babies. So this is, I mean, you're on point with that. I saw that myself. I thought that this is another, uh, another part of the agenda where they're trying to get rid of all the older people that, you know, that like, like you said, reliant on, on the system and government and whatnot, and then start fresh and, you know, create a new wave of people for the future. Yeah. And, and just so our listening audience knows we covered and I did a lot of, of watching of, but there was just a lot of the same rhetoric uh, after the rally against the mandates, uh, Senator Ron Johnson, who's been absolutely probably one of the only people aside from Rand Paul. So publicly out there calling out all the federal agencies calling out, you know, the VAR system and, and uh, the dismissal of, of therapeutics and stuff like that. He's been holding these like, uh, you know, subcommittee meetings where he has like doctors and nurses come in and give their testimony. He's had people who have been injured by the vaccines or family members who've had people die from the vaccines come in and give their testimony. He had a large group of these doctors, including McCullough, RFK, uh, Dr. Malone, all go in there and and have like a, you know, a, a formal meeting about it and talk about all of their concerns and the government censorship and the refusal to use alternative therapeutics and stuff like that. But it was it was just like with less yelling and less cheering, a lot of the same rhetoric. So I just didn't write it into the show for, for this episode, but we did take a good hard look at that and some good stuff came out of there. And I think probably the best thing was is that Senator Johnson continues to do this last couple I have on the COVID narrative though, kind of a surprise. Don't want anybody to get too hyped or excited. It comes from the, uh, the Barry Weiss, Bill Maher exchange from his show this weekend. Um, you know, I just want our listenership to continue to understand when you get into places like HBO and you get into fucking absolute creepy, disgusting people like Bill Maher, um, it's their money that are fueling this change in the narrative for an entire demographic of people who might not listen to the normal legacy media shows. You'll, you'll have an older group of people maybe tune into Bill Maher that can't really stomach Don Lemon, you know, and, and, and things like that. And they want to make sure that this narrative, this switch and pivot away from COVID as we head into the real, you know, juicy parts of the midterm election season where the Dems are looking to get absolutely crushed right now and they need any kind of win they can, is what happens when you get a a, a radical progressive like Bill Maher and someone who writes for the New York Times like Barry Weiss. And then they start talking about how they're sick and tired of COVID and they just wish it would be over and they're so, they feel so stupid for being lied to, I'm sure their actual exchange is better than the one I'm narrating right now. So let's listen to it and then we'll talk about it. I'm done. With this question? No, I'm I'm done with COVID. I'm done. It's like, I, I went so hard on COVID. I I sprayed the Pringles cans that I bought at the grocery store, stripped my clothes off because I thought COVID would be on my clothes. Like, I did it all. I watched Tiger King. I got to the end of Spotify. Like, we all did it, right? No, no, we didn't know. Well, here's the thing. A lot of us us did do it. And then we were told, you get the vaccine. You get the vaccine and you get back to normal. And we haven't gotten back to normal. And it's ridiculous at this point. I know that so many of my liberal and progressive friends are with me on this and they do not want 
want to say it out loud no, because they are scared to be yep. called anti-vax or to be called science denial or to be, you know, smeared as a trumper. Well, now they I'm want sorry, to be, now they if want to you be believe the science, you will look at the data that we did not have two years ago hmm. and you will fi find out that cloth masks do not do anything. You will realize that you can show your vaccine passport at a restaurant and still be asymptomatic and carrying Omicron. And you will realize, most importantly, that this is going to be remembered by the younger generation as a catastrophic moral crime. The city of Flint, Michigan, which is 80%, I think, minority students, has just announced indefinite virtual schooling. Mm -hmm. In the past two years, we've seen among young girls a 51% increase in self-harm. People are killing themselves. They are anxious. They are depressed. They are lonely. That is why we need to end it more than any inconvenience that it's been to the rest of us. I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's like at this point, it's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's not, it's not real anymore. Now you could have Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Ryan Stelter, anybody read those exact lines right there. That is literally what paid opposition looks like. They, they hit all exactly. the talking points. They hit all the headlines. <laughs> you know, they want you to clap. They want you to feel as maybe a centrist or even someone who's conservative. You know, oh, man, there are people on the other side. I mean, she said radical progressives and feel the same way as me in the same sentence. Just, right. to, get you, just it, to get you distracted <laughs> and try to include these people back in so they can bring you that, close like they always do and fucking stab you and kick you out like they did when this virus started. Exactly. Well so, said. It's, it's good. hilarious, though. Yeah. I, I mean, it's good for the normies in a way, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you see through that shit so fucking so fast. It's hilarious. I mean, if it it's starts a, to change a few people's minds, like the ones that run yeah. up to you and fucking scream in your face that you wind up filming and putting it on TikTok at the grocery store or something for not having a mask on. Nobody does that to me. Me either. And, and I went to Walmart the other day. I was literally the only person in there. And, and there was like a couple double takes. I'm lying. I was actually walking up to the, to the register, and there was a little old lady came around the corner. She had, like, a couple little clothes that looked like she was buying for her grandkids, and we, like, locked eyes, and I just, like, nodded my head, and she didn't do anything <laughs> back. But, you know, she, she must have known because she didn't have a mask on while I was nodding my head at her. But, uh, yeah, it's 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 maybe going to change a couple of those people. But for anyone who's followed it on either end, you're either balls deep in this right now, like, masks on your vents, oh! or... You know, it, it's one of those things where you knew what this was from the beginning, and we're just waiting for this narrative to eventually be over so we can all get back to our lives, literally, and, um, you know, not get fired or lose your livelihood and stuff like that. So that's kind of the COVID narrative for this week, a little bit of a spin differently than, than we usually have, a lot more good stuff than, than it was bad. We only had to listen to one clip from <laughs> $5, Yeah, $10. <laughs> But as we're getting ready to bring in uh, someone who's looking to represent the House seat in Illinois 14, Mr. Jack Lombardi, we're going to pivot to that right now as he's just jumping on the show with us here. All right, joining us next today on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he's an America First candidate who's running in Illinois 14. He's a Christian, husband, father, entrepreneur, who's pro-free speech, pro-2A, and pro-right to life. Mr. Jack Lombardi, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you for having me. Thank you to your listeners. Yeah, it's great to uh, finally be able to sit down with you and uh, hear all about the campaign. How are things going with you, sir? Well, we're, I mean, we're going well, you know, just been out there. The name of the game is connecting with people, you know, listening to what, you know, concerns them. Um, all last year, 
I was running initially against Adam Kinzinger, the radical rhino, Adam Kinzinger. <laughs> uh, you like that one? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with many Illinois parents, Illinois moms uh, going against the mass mandates and, uh, you know, which we knew would lead to vax, which they said, oh, it's not going to happen. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Of course, it, of course, it's not. With this administration, anything they say, expect the opposite every time, right? Yes. Yeah, give so them an inch, they take a mile. Yeah, and, you know, in building the campaign, I'm a first-time candidate. You know, I, honestly, you know, to you and your listeners, I'm a, I'm a normal guy. You know, I was inspired by President Trump. You know, there was a higher calling that was put on my heart to do this. I never liked politics. I don't like politicians. I'm pretty open about that. Uh, you know, I don't like the game of it. I understand it, but I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a dad that's concerned about the direction of this country. Mm -hmm. And I was called to get involved. I mean, I would have taken any assignment, but it, it was this specific assignment. And, uh, you know, I have a little girl, uh, baby summer. She's uh, going to be two in April. Oh, and I have an 18 year old son. Wow. And yeah, bunched them together. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm concerned about the America that we're leaving them. You know, I, I the United States of America has been very good to me. Our capitalist structure has been very good to me. Uh, you know, I started a dump truck company in my 20s. Okay. I built that to a multi-million dollar company by the time I was 27 years old. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, thank you. Hold on. The story takes a turn. <laughs> then, at, then at 29, I went through a separation and a downturn of the economy, which was a lot for a young man at 29 years old. I was left homeless with a child in custody court, bankruptcy court, and I built myself back from that. I got, I hate saying those words. Mm. <laughs> Bill, I, I came back from that. Oh, there you go. You bounced oh, back. There you go. I, I, yeah. Bounce is about right. Cause I felt like I slammed off the ground. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> when they say you hit rock bottom, buddy, I know all about it. Nice. Uh, you know, and then built back from there and uh, built a, a you know, top rated digital marketing company in the city of Chicago. We're also in nine other markets outside of that. And it, and it couldn't have been done. And then, oh, by the way, and also my son came to live with me. Um, you know, I wouldn't say full time, but most of the time, you know, his mother and I finally came to an, an arrangement when he was eight years old. And I was able to build my life around being a dad. Right. My my son, I could take him to school every morning. I, I picked him up from school, uh, you know, hung out with him. And the, when they're little guys, you know, hung out with him and the buddies, the boys. And, you know, my son got involved with hockey. I was there to take him to the, you know, skating lessons. I was there, you know, for goaltending lessons. So he decided to be a goalie because, you know, he wanted to spend all my money. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was a goalie. It's just expensive. So was I. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, God. All right. Well, all right. I'll know how to handle you guys. <laughs> Goalies are a special breed of person. I tell you that much. My kid included. Why, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And then uh, what, what did I call him? My son, I call him what uh, Swiss cheese. He don't find that very much. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> Zing. I tell him, I tell him we'll play catch. And I'm like, Jack, just don't worry about it. I'll throw it by your ear. You'll miss it all the time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he knows I'm kidding him. But, uh, you know, the United States of America, you know, afforded me that type of lifestyle, okay, to where I could do that. And I'm so grateful for this country. And I just want to see that my children, your children, your grandchildren have that same opportunity if you so choose to take it. Yeah, I, I think uh, 
man, every, every week we, we come in here, we do two shows. We have anywhere between three and sometimes five candidates on per show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're from all walks of life. Some are already in politics. You know, some are, are, are veterans. Uh, some are just, you know, regular people, small business owners, want to be left alone, living <laughs> the American dream, enjoying capitalism, and then see what happened over the course of the Trump presidency and now the first year of the Biden regime. And it's just lit fires in so many people. Uh, sometimes it's motivated by family. Sometimes it's motivated spiritually or both. And uh, the, the amount of uh, excellent America First candidates we've got running right now. I mean, your story, obviously there's some ups and downs in there that, that identify you, you know, differently than all the rest. But, uh, you know, they just line up as the reason why you're getting into this race and, uh, you know, what it means to you to get out there and, uh, you know, help get this country on, back on the right track. You're absolutely right. I, I'll be honest with you. The founding fathers, when they wrote the provisions for Congress, they did so in such a brilliant way because they saw this coming down the road because they, mm-hmm. they've been through it before. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, human beings think we're so unique and stuff like that. We've all done it before. I mean, there's a saying that says that uh, there's nothing new under the sun that's not in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. So the founding fathers, they said, you know, to get a you know, somebody of good quality, you just had to live in the state that you want to run in over 25 years old and a, you know, a resident or a, a, a citizen of the country for seven years. You can live anywhere in the state and run because it's hard to find good candidates that are willing to go between the district and DC. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have no business running in politics. It's come to my conclusion after meeting many of them. And there's a lot of great people too. I'm not trying to throw them everyone under the bus, but some of these people, I listen to them and uh, you know, you could tell that they never made it in uh, you know, in, in, in private sector. Mm-hmm. Right? So then they go to public sector because maybe they, they were gifted with a, a good line of, you know what? And then they get in, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. And, and you have people that have never built a business. I'm not saying you have to, but have never made anything, right? They never built a business. They went to college and there's no, there's no dig at people that went to college, but listen, hear me through. They went to college and took these social courses, which are indoctrination courses, which is someone else's idea that mm-hmm. they've accepted. And then they go straight from college into politics and they want to inject what they were in indoctrinated with into our government. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason why now in the state of Illinois, we're not teaching government history. We're teaching civics. Mm. There's a fundamental difference between the two because, you know, yeah, right. Exactly. So American history tells the story, good, bad, and different. I mean, but it's a story that Americans need to know. We need to know what our roots are, our identity, but now there's a, you know, this progressive movement wants to uproot the identity of the United States of America because they they hate our constitution. Yep. In doing so, now they teach civics. And civics talks about the social element. My view is is that we need to start sending more people that know how to run businesses to run this country more like a business and less like a civics civics project class. I mean that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. In some mm-hmm. of these policies, I mean let's talk about George Soros, right? How did that get by? This man went and figured out it's cheaper and in the ROI, the return on investment was better by buying, prosecu- you know, these radical left prosecutors yep. 
who are not going to respect the, uh, the the people. And, and how, this is how this works. So they're in Illinois, they say, oh, we need more gun laws in Chicago. Nonsense. We have all the gun laws in the world. It, it, it's, it's, it, it is, it's, 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 it's working out for you. <laughs> what, what happened? How's that working out for you? How's that work? Yeah, right. Well, I don't live in Cook County anymore, so it's working oh, out for great you. for me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it's working out just fine, buddy. But I mean, you know, they have all these gun laws and, and it, you know, to the unsuspecting, a lot of it makes sense when you only hear part of the story. But when you actually get into the politics of it or nuts and bolts, you start to realize it was all a sham. You have all the gun laws that you're going to need. You just have to enforce them. Yep. But by creating this, this illusion that we need more gun laws, it allows to create governments uh, or, or, I mean, um, public persuasion for more gun laws to keep infringing on the Second Amendment. Yep. My question is, is why the hell do they want to dismantle the Second Amendment so much? Why are they so adamant about it? Because that's a conversation that Americans on both sides of the aisle need to understand. However, there's a group on the other side of the aisle, progressives, who think they can trust others with guns and they don't have them. And that's a big mistake. That's what happens when you're learning civics and not history. Yep. Maybe they perhaps, maybe they should study military history. Yeah, yeah, it definitely should. And, and, and you know, if, if they're not more as much of a history buff as, as we'd like them to be, they can always go and do maybe some current events and look at places like Australia and ask when you don't have a real constitution and when you don't have laws that, that protect you to have, you know, the right to bear arms and, uh, you know, defend yourself and your family and your freedoms, uh, what that kind of looks like. So uh, people, people are, are, are complaining about all the things that have happened in this country over the course of the last year. Uh, but they really need to take a better look at what's going on in the rest of the world right now because it's a whole hell of a lot worse. And, and one of those reasons is because there aren't laws to protect people to, you know, the right to bear arms in those places. And uh, it's definitely a good tell. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and, and that is, but there are to some, and it's, it's baffling to me, there are to some, they believe that that was the right course of action and, and right. because they, they willfully went out and got vaccinated. They don't understand. So you could go get vaccinated. I support your individual right to do whatever the heck you want with your body, your body. I want to be very careful with that. If you want to wear a mask, you want to wear 10 masks. I'm not somebody that, you know, there's some people and candidates that I thought were foolishly making fun of people who wore three, four masks. I don't know what's going on in their life, their health. I don't know what's going on with their psychology you know, if they're, you know, have mental health issues, uh, we have to be more sensitive to our fellow American, you know, but then again, that is their right. And I will stand up for that right for them to drive around in the car by themselves with a mask on mass. I saw a picture of somebody that put masks over their vents in their car. Yeah. We've, we've brought I, that one up. Yeah. I, you know what, it, but that's their issue and that's their right to do it. If it looks ridiculous or not, it doesn't matter. But also on the flip side of that is, is we have the right to decide what goes into our body. We have the right, you know, I've supported President Trump's policies and, uh, you know, almost every one of them. The only thing I ever disagreed with President Trump on was, um, you know, he wanted to do a progressive gas tax at one time he mm -hmm. talked about. I'm, I, I, we're taxed to death. We don't need more taxes. We need better spending. Yep. We don't need more taxes. 
we need to start cutting stuff that doesn't benefit the American citizen. So that's the only time I ever disagreed with them. So, uh, you know, people, you know, he, he says, hey, you know, you should get vaxxed. He could say that. That's fine. If you think you need to, cool, go for it. But uh, me and my family, we decided we didn't need that. We had COVID. Um, you know, beat me up for about 11 days. It was like five days. It was kind of beat me up a little bit. Yeah. And that was it. <clears throat> my wife, you know, she's she's 10 years younger. She's younger than me. So, she, you know, it it went, you know, she, she fared a lot better. She actually took care of the baby at the same time. Mm. So we all had it. It was like a COVID party over here. Uh, I'm the old man in the house. So, you know, I got beat up a little bit. There was like, about, like I said, five days, but whatever, but that was my choice. I didn't wind up in the hospital like most people in the world. And they say, Oh, well, you're plugging up the hospitals. Well, that's not really a valid argument no. because the hospitals are understaffed. Mm -hmm. you know, perhaps that was done on purpose. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say it was, that's why I use the word perhaps. Well, there's perhaps definitely not enough, to, not enough, uh, medical staff to do TikTok videos now. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did know a fall off. On, I did notice that. Yeah. Great, great point. Yeah, we don't see that so much anymore. It's a shame. Yeah, well, those same medical uh, staff that were out there doing that are probably on a different channel, and they were probably on the uh, you know fighting for my job TikTok yeah. channel. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, right? a, it's a big subscription there. It's a lot, a lot more people adding up to that one. It's uh, <laughs> definitely interesting to see that whole COVID narrative. We just. Uh, we had our own COVID party here not too long ago, Noah and I, and then my family, we all in, in, enjoyed having it again. First time since 2020, um, probably a little bit more fluvid, but I am the elder in my family as well. And it kind of beat me up a little bit longer than the rest of them. My kids, you, besides a little bit of snot nose, you wouldn't be able to tell that they had anything yeah, wrong right. with them. So my wife was down for a couple of days, but she's also, you know, uh, younger than I am. And then I just felt old and achy and didn't want to do anything. You know, for like a little over a week. That lingering cough that won't go away, though. Yeah. That's what, hey, let me ask you: did did it come in like a week later, like you were good, and then a week later it start all of a sudden developed? Literally a week later. Yeah. From, from same thing with me. Yep. I thought this. I thought this podcast was going to go down the uh, younger wife channel. <laughs> what, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> well, yeah. like like you said, that I identify as old and crotchety. Yeah. There you go. That, that's your identity. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jack, get it. We, d we definitely want to get into your platform and let our listenership know some of the things that, uh, you know, are strong for you. you. You come off as an America First candidate. You supported uh, Trump era policies for an overwhelming uh, majority of the, the things he was cranking out there. What are some of the things right now when you're hitting the trail, you're letting your constituents know that you're going to, uh, you know, get behind and be able to represent them in when you get to Washington, D.C.? 100 percent. Great question. The first, you know, let's look at skill set. What do I bring to the table? I have a unique skill set that you don't find in the Republican Party. I own a digital marketing company, but I made my money reverse engineering large algorithms like Google, Facebook, and Yelp, right? Especially Facebook and Yelp, mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, Google and Yelp. So, you know, when we're talking about Section 230, we do need to revisit that. And I do believe that there are some uh, trust laws that were broken along this way that we need to have that conversation. Now, I'm not an attorney, so, you know, um, I'd have to consult, you know, with, with attorneys on that one. But I do believe, you know, that conversation needs to be had if it's not already had already. Yeah. Uh, so Section 230 is something that, you know, it, it is, okay, so the First Amendment for your listeners, uh, if you know, but for your listeners, the First Amendment is kind of like the valve on a pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. 
And why it's so important. And if you look, there's a Supreme Court justice uh, comments on a 1964 case between what was it? Um, New York Times and Sullivan, right? You Mm -hmm. might want to look up uh, the notes on that one. And it describes the First Amendment in conversation as, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it, like it can get a little rough. It can get ugly at times. There could be swear words in there, you know, and, and this is, now we see this whole hate words, hate, you know, that's another, that's another uh, advert, you know, attack on our first amendment, by the way. Yeah. So, you know, someone that says F you, I mean, it's not the end of the world. Right. But mm-hmm. that could come out in, in conversation with our first amendment and should be protected by our first amendment. And why that's so important is, is, is that online, that's another form of our ability to have you know, a conversation. And when we're being censored as Facebook, uh, I believe Mark Zuckerberg or somebody from Facebook had said that, you know, fact checking was mere opinion. Mm. Yep. Well, you know, let's take a look at the echo chamber of news, right. And, and propaganda that's been put in there. So these things have been systematically built out. We call those in the internet marketing community syndication networks, Right. And we use those and we build those. So that's what's been done. And they've been used to work against the voice of conservatives uh, or Republicans. These things have been populated in such a way they've been built and, and, uh, you know, and populated in such a way that take away the voice of conservatives in, in a propaganda type fashion. So this is something that uh, we can prove. And I'll be honest with you, the internet marketing community is probably made up of half people who love the constitution. And you never guess a bunch of guys and gals behind the computer being like that, but they actually do. And they've, they do in silence do support me, uh, you know, through back channel, they reach out in any way I can help. So that's a skill set that I bring to Congress that, you know, I don't believe anybody has is, you know, one, I have that skill set. And two, I have the support of the internet marketing community because we see the signatures and the algorithm. We see how it's done. So I, you know, very candidly say when I'm on the trail, they could BS someone else, but it won't be me. So that's one first part, a skill set that I bring. The second is, is, uh, you know, I've always been told I make a heck of a litigator. So those who are on the January 6th trial, of, uh, you know, number three or four or five or 10 of President Donald Trump, you know, there are possibly some laws that have been broken in this process. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we need to, when this, when we go red, we need to capitalize on this. And let me tell you this, and I'll put this out. And those who are listening, I want to chop this up, make sure you get this whole thing. I'm going to say, if you don't play ball, if you don't go along with this, you work against what we've all been through, and you're a Republican, I will out you every single day. I will go on my Facebook Live to my massive following I have on Twitter and on Facebook, and I will call you out every single day because you are playing with the future of my children. So that's a very personal statement, but I will call them out. And that's the best um, guarantee I could give to the American people, that if you're working against us again, and you're a Republican, well, then you know, you're going to have to contend with me now going, going for uh, further, you know, there's, you know, George Soros, you know, getting in there, George Soros has put a lot of money into buying politicians. Yes, he has. State, 
state and federal. So instead of the FBI going to harass concerned parents who are just upset or concerned for the future of the children and the mass mandates, which we all knew was going to go to vaccine anyways, instead of the FBI doing that, perhaps the FBI should be out there investigating, making sure that these donations and, and the you know money, the way it was funneled, is done lawfully. That would be a better use of our resources, in my opinion. So that's something that I would bring up as well if, if I was elected uh, into Congress. This is a conversation that also needs to have to happen. Yeah, it definitely is. It's, uh, you know, one of those things, a combination of the, uh, you know, the way the American public looks at the delegitimacy of the federal law enforcement agencies combined with the inner workings of the administrative state, which gummed up a lot of the uh, America First policies that, you know, Donald Trump really wanted to get done that he was never able to go over the finish line. A lot of these uh, unelected and appointed people who work in government, you know, we've had people on the show like Cash Patel and Peter Navarro that suggest they're cl- it's close to a million employees uh, that, you know, have no bosses, can retire whenever they want and know that every 48 years, the big boss is going to change. So as long as they can keep it as medium as possible, the medium now over the course of the last probably 12 years has turned a little bit more progressive, radical left. But, you know, it, it's really hurt and affected our country, our economy, our national defense, top to bottom. You, you look at it, our borders, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where we, we just haven't heard as much accountability as we'd like to. There's, there's a group of great House representatives that are doing it now on a more consistent basis. You've got Gates, Gosar, Biggs, Cawthorn, MTG. You know, I'm sure I'm leaving some out, but there's a whole slew of them coming in in the midterm elections right now that's going to, you know, kind of jump on board with them and, and really be able to point out a lot of the awful things that are going on in our government right now. So uh, I'm glad that you brought that up. And it's one of the things like, you know, you said a lot of people, they may not realize what's going on, but if it's pointed out a lot more, the American public and uh, probably a lot of the voter base will understand a little bit more uh, effectively how we can, uh, you know, stop doing it and, and getting away from that whole uh, mindset. Well, one of the, you know, something you pointed out is one of the roles of a congressman is to inform the public. And I believe a lot of career politicians get in there and uh, they're afraid about their next election. See, I already have a career, right? I, you know, uh, that's not what this is about for me. So that, that frees me up to where I can, I could do what I want, right? I don't have to worry about the next election. You elect me, you elect me, you don't, you don't. It's, it is what it is. Uh, you know, I could say what I need to say. You know, we have some people here in Illinois, I'm not going to call them out. When all this mask mandates were going, they're trying to say that they were fighting for, you know, parent rights, this one person in particular. And it's laughable because I said, you know, you, you know, you're you're in a town, you're, you're a county chair, and I led the march of parents across the river in your county, in your hometown, and you were nowhere to be found. Right. Typical mm-hmm. politicians, typical politicians. You know, if you don't want to, how do I say this? If you don't have the intestinal fortitude to do the job and represent the people, even when they're uncomfortable, then you don't need to be involved. You just don't. Because that 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 act, I actually said there, I'm surprised so-and-so is not here. There's no reason why I should have led that march across, uh, you know, the river like I did. He should have been there. That's his backyard. Yep. You know, that, that's example of, you know, career politicians in the making and the behaviors of some, they're worried about, you know, putting it on the line. Oh, yeah, oh well, but that's part of, you know, part of a congressman is that you inform the public 
And that's something that, um, you know, I was on two Facebook lives earlier. I have a group on Facebook called Parent Choice March. It's about 20,000 Illinois parents. And it's starting to branch out to other states. Mm-hmm. You know, I brought on uh, a gentleman by the name of Dave Shostokas. Dave is an attorney who was, was one of President Trump's attorneys for election. He's also an expert in the Constitution. And uh, we do, uh, it's like crash course in civics. I mean, that's the best we can come up with, kind of catchy. Letting, you know, Illinois, and, and it's mainly moms in this group, letting Illinois moms understand the difference between Congress and state legislature, between, you know, U.S. Senate and state Senate, the governor's role and the attorney general's role. He's happened to be running for the attorney general of Illinois, by the way. And, uh, you know, we uh, we put on these, you know, these uh one hour, 45 minute, one hour videos and just educate the public because if they, the, the more educated the public is on the roles of each seat mm-hmm. in their, in their government, local and, and federal, they'll start to understand the expectation of these candidates or, you know, uh, seated uh, politicians. And then, you know, it, it, it begs the question of what have you been doing? Like we have, we have a uh, state legislature here in Illinois, a state rep, she is so progressive, so radical. It, my question's been to these mom groups, why haven't you canvassed her her district asking the residents, the constituents, if they supported, um, what did she do? 14 years old, a little girl could go to her school, tell them she needs an abortion, and you, the parents, will never know. Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, that's just mind-blowing to me. Terrible. Well, you know, here, listen, I, you know, uh, obviously I'm, I'm for life. I, I, you know, I've, ex- I've had something happen in my personal life, uh, regarding, uh, abortion that I'm not going to talk about just yet, but I will start talking about it later and, um, later in the campaign. And it's, it's affected me personally. And, uh, you know, the argument of abortion is, well, okay, 2% of it is, you know, medical and, and rape and incest. Well, okay, <clears throat> that's a different conversation. But when your little girl at 14 years old goes to the school, says she needs to have an abortion, and then she's all jacked up because a lot of these women who have abortions, you know, it's a short-term gain, long-term pain. She don't have to deal with it. Her right. life doesn't have to change. But later on, these women, many, I wouldn't say all, but many or most is probably a better word, they're they're impacted. You know, I have I have an 18 year old. I would have an older child if it wasn't for what happened, right? And that bothers me. And and I'm not the one that went and did it, right? So, you look at this little girl, and I, you know, I have a little girl now. I don't want her to have to make that decision on her own and walk that one. That's what her daddy's there for. Yeah, that's what her mommy's there for is is to hold her hand through it and say, "Honey, I understand this, but these this is what this looks like in the future, honey." And and, and you know, and that's. This is another attempt by progressives for government to become the mom and dad and remove mom and dad, you know, from, you know, the child. I mean, that's, this is another example of it, but yeah, I mean, we have radical progressives and and like I've said, and I, I know I went off beat there. We, you know, the public needs to be better educated in what the rules are for each seat and they're, they're purposely, and I hate to use this word, but I don't have a better word you know, progressives are trying to make Americans stupid, right? Yeah. Or yep. stupid, I guess by definition would be the right word, to what their government is and how it's supposed to operate. 
because they hate our Constitution. No, you're right. I mean, between junk science and, and junk politics and, and woke politics and all this other stuff, it's more of a distraction from, you know, a combination of what the country was and, and what it is now. And, and right now it's in a it's in a very large crisis top to bottom. I don't I don't, I don't think there's a, a facet of the country right now that's not literally on fire. When, when you could talk about anything being stable, it's everything from the smallest things like schools how they generally affect communities all the way up to the big things like the border and the economy and even higher into the international things. When you see the, the theaters between, you know, China and Taiwan, North Korea today, again, fired ballistic missiles over South Korea. And then of course, Russia and Ukraine. Um, I just saw a poll drop in the last hour uh, and it, it, it shows that 81% of all registered Democrats and 91% of registered Republicans fear that, uh, you know, the, the inflation, the higher prices right now is probably one of the number one items on the ticket that's uh, generally affecting the country. I'm sure it affects all the people in, in Illinois as well and is important to your constituents. What do you have to uh, weigh in on as, as far as the inflation that's going on right now and how, you know, the, the Biden administration has handled the economy since taking over a year ago? I'll put it real clear to you. Joe Biden needs to put the ice cream cone down, call up OPEC. <laughs> and start being the president. That would solve a lot of these problems. Mm -hmm. A lot of these problems. Americans are getting squeezed at the pump. I mean, they really are. We're paying 50% more per gallon in gas. And then who's getting rich and who's not? Yep. The progressive party is for big business because it's big business that's providing them the money they need to get into office. It is literally a laundering gig. So the president needs to put down the ice cream cone find his way to his office, maybe get assisted, pick up the phone and call OPEC and start being a president. Start being a, acting like a businessman like we just recently had in there and start putting the squeeze on him. The president of the United States is an incredibly powerful person throughout this whole planet. He has the power over, over policy and politics in many, many ways. He needs to start using the power that's available to him Instead of trying to squeeze people to not investigate his son like he did when he was vice president, mm -hmm. he needs to start doing it by the will of the people to give them give them some relief. That would start. So I used to own a trucking company like we were talking about. I don't know if we were recording at that time or not, but I used to own a trucking company. Let me tell you, fuel price impacts mm -hmm. a lot. Our groceries, uh, you know, our goods. I mean. It really impacts it when fuel prices go up and surcharges go up, you have to start being added to the invoice. That makes a difference. So you want to go fix a lot of the problems we're dealing with? Call OPEC, period. 100%. And I think uh, Mike Collins, who's running in Georgia, Congressional District 10, who's also a trucking company owner, he'd, he'd agree with you as well. It was one of the biggest things that he talked about when uh, he was on with us. He joined us with uh, Joe Kent not too long ago. And that was one of the things he really broke down just, just the way you did, how it, how it affects the businesses and then the economy, you know, the food prices and all the way up to the national level. It's just absolutely crushing right now. Um, national defense. It, it's one of the things that, uh, you know, during the Trump administration never really took precedent. Uh, you know, the, the, the legacy media, the progressive radicals, they all said that Donald Trump was going to initiate World War III. We saw with our own eyes a whole lot of different, uh, the destruction of ISIS and, and, and the Islamic Caliphate on, on three different countries. Uh, Soleimani in retribution for, you know, proxy warring with Russia and, and the bounties that were going on. 
in addition to meeting face to face with with uh, you know the leader of North Korea and and, and the the amount of respect Donald Trump commanded when he went overseas for all the uh, the the different events and stuff that he, he went to. Right now, we're seeing a, a completely night and day difference. Uh, some some of the people who they may not be like literally our enemies, but the ones who want to do their own thing in the world—the Chinas, the Russias, the North Koreas, etc.—to expand their empires. Right now, they're just kind of flexing because they know there are a lot of people who are junior staffers in the Obama administrations now occupying cabinet seats. You have people who are revenge hires, like Merrick Garland, uh, who's taking his. Uh, you know, office and, and and the powers that he has as as the attorney general and using them against American citizens instead of going after things like possible terrorists who are coming across the southwest border and stuff like that right now. And and, and you see definitely a, a huge contrast to the way the country was ran just, you know, a year ago, which wasn't perfect, but was but was a whole lot better and definitely a stark comparison. What, what do you feel right now nationally defense-wise? We saw Joe Biden in the last hour say that he doesn't foreseeably see u.s forces engaging foreseeably see in russia and ukraine but at this time like right now it's definitely heating up over there and 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 what's your take on that my take is this is a direct result of weak leadership yeah i mean that's it i you know here let me go back to draw from my own experience when i when i used to fight right mixed martial arts Mm -hmm. you could tell you could tell who's going to win the fight and who who's not by the way they walk out. Actually, my wife has got a hundred percent. She's a hundred percent right. I, I don't know how she does it. Like I just, I'm the one that did it, but you could tell who's going to win the fight and who doesn't because they're, you know, when you when you have equal skill sets and you've trained, it's who the one that beats it is focus and mental, the mental game, right? Your confidence, and we look like we look like the weak fighter. Yet we're the we're the the more powerful one. It just we're meant we look mentally weak because of the head of you know a weak leadership because of head of head of look at General Milley. Mm. What's this guy doing? He's more worried about angry white men or what did he say? White fighting is, fighting white rage. Guy Liner. <laughs> uh, the you know my wife is uh, my wife is uh, uh, my mother in law is from Korea, right? Okay. My wife says this: the most hated man. In, in American politics right now is the white male. Oh. You're pegged with everything mm-hmm. and the most discriminated against. That's what my wife says, her words, right? Mark Milley, he's an embarrassment. He's soft. He, you know what I mean? It, you, you can have images of him laying there, you know, cuddling with a, a body pillow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> When he should be, you know, what like maybe like I don't know what like fluffiness on it or something like that. Painting his toes. When he should be in there, when he should be worried about how we're going to defend our country, how we're worried about how we're posturing, he should be worried about that, not worried about angry white men or whatever the hell that is. Also, <laughs> Joe Biden needs to put the ice cream cone down, find his way to the office, pick up the phone, and say, "Here's what here's what's going to happen. This is how it is. I'm going to tell you, you're going to do this." This is what we're going to do. Also, I'm not for these forever wars. I'll be honest with you. I no. have friends that came back that are all busted up, right? So the last thing I want to see is, you know, uh, Americans getting busted up again because we have, you know, poor leadership and, and weak leadership. However, what I would say to this is, if you're going to, I remember I had this, um, as he was a billionaire. It was one of my dad's bosses. He was an old uh old rich jewish guy right 
And he said, if you want to hurt somebody, hurt them in their pocketbook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The sanctions. So President Trump threw sanctions at Russia every which way possible. And it worked. And that put the squeeze on them. So if you want to hurt somebody, before we send our, our young men and women, our very brave and courageous young men and women to go fight their fights that they're not smart enough, you know, to to handle, right? Because we have poor leadership, hit them in the pocketbook. Hit them in the pocketbook, that'll make a difference. You want Ukraine so bad? Okay, so you think you're gonna you're gonna gain X amount of whatever GDP, whatever it is, right? Okay, cool. We're gonna put X amount of sanctions on you that are more. So now it's not a gain; yep. it's a deterrent at that point. Because mm-hmm. that's that's the seat that the president is a very powerful, you know, man, and you know, uh, you know, Congress is very powerful. We're a, we're you know, powerful country. Well, that's when you use it. Use your brains. We don't need to use the brawn and get young Americans killed. And, and dismembered and have mental illness, you know, coming out of military like we've seen. We don't, that needs to stop. There's other ways to handle it. Now, look at, I mean, if it comes down to it, it comes down to it, right? I mean, we have to also let them know, you know, we're willing to go to war. We're yeah. willing to do what we got to do. But, I, you know, we're not there yet. I, we'll put the squeeze on their pocketbook. That's the right way to play this one, yeah, in my I, opinion. I definitely think you're right. I mean, I saw we, during the Trump administration, the first thing he would do was, uh, you know, sanctions, tariffs, freezing assets, not letting uh, ambassadors and, and, and private business owners from abroad come into the United States to go and cry to their lobby group so they can, you know, skirt their way around uh, Trump era policies. And then you saw, you know, let's just say after the fall of ISIS, obviously, you're, you're not going to sanction ISIS, even though they did freeze a lot of their assets around the world. They vaporized, you know, the leader of the of the caliphate. But but it was soon thereafter that you know, they got into negotiations with the Taliban and Donald Trump said, listen, we know where you guys get your funding from and, and your weapons from. We could stop that. But at the same time, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the address of where all of your families are. And if we're not going to play nice, in addition to freezing all that stuff, we're going to start hitting them and hitting them hard before we come for you, which will be last. And it'll be extremely public and very embarrassing. I know where you park your goat. Well, he'd be, he'd te- he, he definitely had a very good relationship with his, with his good friend Abdul there. And, uh, Abdul. You know, and, and that was one of the things the Taliban had pointed out, that, that Donald Trump said that he knew where all their families lived. Yeah. And, and, you know, if he can't hit you in the pocketbook, he's going to hit you in, in in where it really counts. And that was one of the reasons that we, we didn't see troops dying for over a year there. And up until, you know, Joe Biden completely dropped the ball and, and had one of our biggest military embarrassments in the history of this country that, you know, we, we were kind of uh, going to be able to do a lot of different things there than we are now, which is nothing. Yeah. Well, I think uh, with the Russia and Ukraine thing, I think the Biden family's got too many open uh, IOUs floating around. That's bad. I mean, it, it, it's it's walking such a fine line to where if you don't cater to Russia a little bit, you know, with the minor incursion versus the military invasion, in addition to Ukraine probably saying, like, listen, if you let them do stuff to our country, we're just going to start leaking all of these things that you and your family have done here for the last 20, 30 years. It, it, it seems like he's put himself in a really big bind, and it's someone who's not qualified to, to be dealing with this situation. I mean, it's unfortunate that the president can't recluse himself from, a, you know, something as, as a hot topic as this, but that's kind of the point to where we're at right now. Well, that's an example of poor character. That's where it leads you. Anything done in the dark comes out in the light eventually. Everything's always going to come back and bite you in the ass eventually. Yep. That was that was Grandma Lombardi quote right there, by the way. Nice. Nice. My grandmother. So, you know, this is kind of the warning. So if if you play the game, well, you know, it's it's gonna come back to you. And and here it is, it's presented. So if if something gets leaked out, I you know, I don't have a problem with that. 
No, neither. Not, I, it, it would definitely, uh, it would probably justify a lot of the claims that people have been making that the, you know, the administration and all their layers of protection have been denying for the last mm-hmm. however long it's been. Well, I, you know, you know, I, could you imagine if Don Jr. got into the art business? <laughs> oh my nah. god! Oh my god! You know, it's it's insulting. It's insulting to watch this stuff, as if these people think Americans are that dumb. Like even people, even, you know, maybe liberal minded people, they know they're getting sick and tired of it. Their pocketbook is hurting too. Big time. They're they're sick and tired of a lot of it. I mean, that's why I'm super careful to try to stay away from saying Democrats. And I just, I, you know, I point at progressives because progressives, I mean, I respect them as my fellow American. However, we're just not going to agree. We're just not going to, I, you know, in, in liberals though, I don't think they're the enemy of conservatives as many think. Now I'm talking the old school liberal who believes in the Second Amendment, and the First Amendment. We just have a, you know, that they don't like what you know a conservative has to say. However, they're still gonna, you know, it, you know, um, support the First Amendment, and maybe you know they understand that we need the Second Amendment. It's just they see how that works different. They're not the enemy of conservatives. However, I mean, look at Bill Maher, last guy in the world I ever thought. Like, I'm like, okay, like I don't. I kind of like you now. <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh he's just really fed up with the like I mean he's one of those people that's honestly and this is a lot of this is the big problem with a lot of the liberals, the progressives and the the not moderate democrats. They just won't refuse to admit that they were wrong. <laughs> and Bill Maher's got such a platform, he's living the same exact life, obviously in a little bit more lapse of luxury than than the average person, but you know, he wakes up in the morning, he probably goes to stores and restaurants and all these other places and hasn't died. And yeah. is paying a lot more money to do everything now. And and it's gotten to the point to where he's like, you know, and we, we've called it for months on this show. At some point, these people are just going to want to go back to taking pictures of their food and being left alone. And yeah. it seems like every time we get a little bit closer to that, they walk it back so much more. And, uh, you know, the evidence just doesn't support the radical progressive left agenda. If they leave me alone, I will start taking pictures of my food. Really? Tater tots? That's, yeah. Well, that's true. Promise? <laughs> he sends them to our group chat. Jack, this was awesome getting to uh, know you today. Obviously, we'd like to invite you back at some point between now and the election. It was uh, really awesome to kind of get to know your heart and then hear about your campaign. You know, you're the third candidate we've had on from Illinois. Uh, Keith Pecow, who's the mayor of Orland Park right now, he's going to be running in Illinois 6. And then Bobby Python, who's running for an open seat, have both been on our shows a few times. And it looks like, uh, you know, a lot of people think Illinois, awful governor, Chicago, the worst mayor, probably in the country right now, or at least one of them don't say her name three times either. Um, you know, and, and then we see, we see these amazing candidates coming out of the woodwork here who have, you know, they're gaining massive followings and their, their messages really seem to resonate with what America first really means. And it was just a, you know, another great thing to get out to our listenership today that Illinois looks like it's going to be in good hands come the midterm election season. Well, yeah, I, Illinois is a secret red state, gentlemen, in to your listeners. It really is. Yeah. We just have one area that kind of jams us up, and that's Cook County. Yep. And, you know, the Hispanic community, which has been a strong Democrat vote, they're saying they had enough because I told you about the abortion law that yeah. went through. They're having enough because it's costing, you know, that community a lot of money. And the violence, you know, the lack of um well, you know, because they're letting criminals out. So if, if if you keep letting criminals out after the police put their not only their life on the line, which they've always been willing to do, right. but now right. it's their career or even their freedom. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they're not getting out of the cars as much. So the Hispanic yeah. community is getting sick and tired of it. The black community, they're getting pinched. I mean, come on. The black community, the, you know, Biden says he's after billionaires, but he's looking at $600 transactions. Yeah. Now, I'm going to talk a little Chicago for you, right? Because I actually grew up on the southwest side of Chicago. We call that what Biden's doing is taxing your laundry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what they're doing is, is so if you send baby mama, all right, so I'm talking a little Chicago, you send your baby mama $700, right? Well, now baby mama is going to have to go report that if you Venmo or whatever, right? You send it through one of the, the apps and that's not going to fly or you're using through cash app, right? So the black community is, you know, they see the writing on the wall as well. So the progressives have, I don't know. They've they if this was a chess match, they certainly have been playing checkers here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's gonna be a huge wake up call come November. Um, Jack, before we come with you, okay. why don't you tell our listenership where they could find you on social medias, whether it be your uh, congressional website, uh, some of your socials like Twitter or Instagram, and then we're gonna live link them all in the show description today. Roger that. Thank you, gentlemen. So you can find me at LombardiforCongress.com. That's where you can find, you know, a lot on my platform. You, you know, you can volunteer, donate if you choose. Twitter, just put in Jack Lombardi. You'll find me there. Uh, if you like President Trump tweets and not offended, you'll probably like mine. You know, Facebook, you know, I have my campaign page, Jack Lombardi for Congress. Uh, you know, and Instagram's all the same. Instagram is pretty much screenshots of my Twitter. So, you know, if you need some entertainment or, um, you know, want my take on a current issue, as it comes out, follow my my Twitter if you have it. And I'm also on Gitter and Gab as well. Just type in my name. You'll you'll find me there. Yeah, we're going to live link those all today, and I will be the first to uh, attest. You've got a pretty base Twitter, to say the least. I shared one of your tweets right before you jumped on with us today, and we'll be sharing more and tagging you in them once the show comes out later this afternoon. This is uh, candidate running to represent House seat in Illinois 14. Mr. Jack Lombardi, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you for having me. All right, so what do you guys think of uh, Jack Lombardi? Pretty solid candidate. A bunch of them coming out of Illinois right now, and it was great to have him on the show today. Yeah, that's a couple of uh, really good guests we had. Yeah, definitely. So he went from riches to rags to riches again. And, uh, you know, had some ups and downs with his family, but it seems like he's doing great things now. He's got a very successful business, and it looks like he's a strong America First candidate that agrees overwhelmingly with a lot of politics that brought you know, Donald Trump makes success over the course of his presidency, and it'll be good to see him now in the race and, and heading into the debate season there. I hope he wins his primary, and we'll be surely glad to have him back. Um, you know, who look at, wasn't looking forward to going to work this week was Joe Biden. Yeah. He's had an awful couple of them lately. Um, you know, we saw Build Back Better die a few weeks ago, voter rights last week, and then the presser, which was... It was pressing. Depressing. <clears throat> Listen here, fat... Um, unrelentless though, in their attempt to, uh, continue to delegitimize was the legacy media and, and they really did not hold back again this week. I was watching some of the weekend shows just to see if they'd continue on this narrative. And I'm circling back right now before we get to our friends over at CNN, which is going to absolutely blow your mind. <laughs> Chuck Todd doubled down on, on fuck Chuck Todd trending on Twitter last week and, and gave another monologue on Joe Biden. Poll numbers, let's hear it. Fuck Chuck Todd. On Wednesday, was designed to kick off a second year reset of his presidency. Cap recaptures political identity, if you will. But our, MB, our new NBC News poll suggests Mr. Biden does need a reset 
because he's lost his identity a bit. He's no oh. longer seen as competent and effective. Mm. He's no longer seen as a good commander-in-chief or perhaps most damaging as easygoing and likable. In fact, just 5% of adults say Mr. Biden has performed better than expected as president. That's probably One of the, the many lowest, firsts, and fewests in our poll. And as we kick off our Meet the Midterms coverage heading into November, well, NBC News Political Unit developed what we're calling a midterm meter. It's based on previous election cycles. It's basically three poll numbers you need to know best. I'm going to start with the, perhaps the most important number to understand uh, the direction of the midterms. It's job approval here. The president's job approval rating sitting at 43 no. percent. If you look at history, history shows that kind of presidential approval rating leads to a shellacking for the party in power. How about the mood of the nation? Well, let me show you this right now. Our wrong track, the nation's on the wrong track number, sitting at 72 percent. Second poll in a row where we've been over 70 percent. This is only the third time in our polls history over 30 years where we've had two tracks that uh, were that off. That, again, would put you in shellacking territory for the party in power. Mm. Wait, I didn't get that last part. Were they saying? Well, you, first of all, it's, what did he say? Meet the midterms. A lot of thought yeah. went into that one. And then he had, it was the midterms o-meter. Yeah. The polls that midterms they were going to o-meter. Yeah. I've never so, heard of that before. They, they claim that Joe Biden has, what, 43% approval rating? That's false. You could reverse yeah, those numbers and then probably minus 10. Yeah. And then I, I would say it's probably accurate to say the mood of the country, 72-ish percent, is really unfavorable direction of the country right now. I'd say that's probably accurate when you include the independents. Yeah, yeah went, I, I just didn't get that. That's what that one was. I didn't hear it properly. Yeah, the mood. approval ratings have gone from, like, angry grandpa to angry grandpa with dementia yeah almost almost <laughs> and, and although those are some pretty bad numbers and a bad narrative to be talking about a, a, a news organization air quoting now organization <laughs> that usually supports uh the lefties and the radical progressives one thing i never expected to hear was up to almost one minute of content that cnn allowed Joe Biden to get destroyed on their show Friday night. Brutal. Anderson Cooper kind of let it go and probably wasn't happy after. Let's check it out. And I read a piece that you just wrote uh, essentially saying this is Joe Biden doing what Joe Biden does. Yeah, well, he he I, I never imagined how quickly this would all unfold. The person they sold on the campaign, the nice old, you know, moderate grandpa who just wanted to help everybody get along and compromise is not Strange what we got Joe. over the last year. He has no mandate really to do much of anything. It's amazing that he got a couple of things done when the mandate was really uh, pretty clear. 50-50 Senate, a near 50-50 House, and a pretty close presidential election. The mandate was simply replace Donald Trump and don't do anything drastic or stupid. And everything about this agenda is extremely drastic. And he's been angrier than I think people expected. He's been more divisive. He's been more partisan. You look at the issues. We built five years of coverage on Trump out of Russia, COVID, and democracy. The president at his press conference invites Russia to invade the Ukraine. We got more deaths under Biden than Trump. And now we have the president and vice president and leading Democrats question the legitimacy of the 2022 election. Are we any better off on these three issues that we crucified Trump over? I think he has a lot of political problems. And an AP poll came out this morning. Only 28 percent of Americans want the sitting president to run for reelection and fewer than half of Democrats. This is a disaster. Yeah, oh, so, I've got uh, yeah. You know the other clip of uh, on the Bill Maher clip, Mar, mm -hmm. however you say his name, controlled Mayor. opposition. Mayor. This is another example of that bullshit. 
they're they're comparing well one they're distancing themselves from the covid bullshit because they know it's failing two midterms they know they've got to change you know their whole mo three i think that they're also preparing for a change of batter there's too much talk about hillary clinton and damn it you fucking beat me to it and it's because (laughs) i'm such a gentleman i let you interject i was gonna say number four what did all of those talking points (laughs) mean and we have heard on this show literally come out of Hillary Clinton's mouth in the last month every single clip that we've played they said sentences from the thing she's literally said both of those people yeah and and it's one of those things that they are getting ready to change the guard like really they're gonna throw her prop her back up and try to do that shit like no that's amazing listen it's amazing because like even the left that used to love her can't stand her so imagine how the squad definitely is not fans And it's not going to be like one of those things, too. Let's just say she does get back into the uh, into the theater and, uh, you know, throws her name in the ring. It's not going to be like what Nancy Pelosi has had to deal with for the last four or five years where those dumb bitches got in there. And just like whenever (laughs) they don't agree with her, they make such a big stink about it. Hillary Clinton will will literally ruin their life. She'll wind up killing one of their fucking boyfriends or something. (laughs) Who did we have on that said they were going to donate to her campaign if she, if she went, was that cash? Yeah. Yeah. It was cash. He said, said, I'd love to see, I would love to see her try to run. And it would be pretty epic because I mean, obviously considering everything in general, it's hilarious in my opinion. And there's so much more to it. I, I don't, the conspiracy theorist in me has all sorts of theories about this one. She's going to bring out some more of her uh, death row records outfits. Oh yeah. <laughs> Remember that meme? Yeah. <laughs> the, the oversized turtleneck with the chain over the front of it. Yeah. Still Too waiting funny. for the uh, Raheem Kassam version of that one to come from Noah. Oh mm. yeah. You got to do it. With the mixtape. <laughs> So Joe Biden had a a Zoom conference with some of our allies yesterday in regards to the whole Russia bullshit. And for some reason, he came out and sat at a table to answer questions with reporters, but immediately told them that he did not want to ask or for them to not ask any questions about Ukraine. So it's like, I know this is the biggest thing in the news right now, but I don't want you to ask any questions. Can you just leave me alone about it? And, uh, you know. I'm going to do a little bit of lead-in to where we need to get to, but this is the kind of tone he set before it really went south. The only reason I don't like doing this is you never report on why I've called a meeting, and this is really important. I had a very, very, very good meeting, totally unanimity with all the European leaders. We'll talk about it later. Thank you. Thank you. What? He, he just came out of a so meeting wait, so with what, all of our, our European leaders. So what is he sitting down with them for? I don't know. I really don't. I, I, part of me thinks that he didn't want to, like he wasn't supposed to sit down, but there was a mic there for him and kind of a presidential seal on the I table. I think there's always a mic somewhere. <sighs> yeah, I think that he probably just like wandered out and sat down. And he's like, well, I'm wait, ready for my sandwich. And it was at that point that the Joe Biden handler started to usher out members of the press pool. All right, everybody. Time to get out. Not taking any more questions. Needs to change his diaper, this, that, and the other thing. Time for the applesauce. But, uh, you know, and as they're going out the door, Joe Biden continued to sit at this table. The mic continued to remain on. And as the press always does, they continued to pepper him with questions. I think they stopped turning off his mic because they, they brought attention to that. I think yeah. Because it there. looks really oh, bad. Oh, the when, mic when button. He, when, yeah. he, when he tries to talk and it's just like, well, well, they had some, yeah, some 
there's somebody it. on the inside allowing this shit. I'm telling you. And there's a, a person like, well, of course, it's, it's, it's the, sabotage people, bits and the, stuff. the people that know it's run its course and all they needed him to do was get over the finish line, even if it was rigged and stolen in 2020. And, and once they got their agenda started, like some, there's some of these fires that you just can't put out. Afghanistan will never be put out the border during this administration for as long as it's allowed to continue. They could say they're going to fucking seal the border tomorrow, build the rest of the wall, close every port of entry, and you will still have a border crisis. You know, it, it, between the drugs and the people coming in here and the amount of them that are that are crossed on a daily basis, they just announced today uh, the official numbers from DHS, which are probably way lower than the actual numbers and does not include getaways, was, I believe, 1.88 million people have been came into the United States unlawfully this year, and over 800,000 of them have already been released in the United States with an IOU promise that they're going to show up in immigration court four to six years from now to determine whether or not they could stay here. Four to six years. But they're allowed to work, and if they have kids, those kids are automatically U.S. citizens and become an undeportable or removable way to get those people out of the country. So essentially it's catch and release. 800-plus thousand people just this Year and these people are getting court dates regardless of how they try to come in. They can come in committing fraud, trying to sneak in and getting caught, mm-hmm. and then oh, 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 actually, I just want asylum. Five dollars. Yeah. Ten dollars. Ten. Five ten. green cards. Ten green cards. It's such a slap in the face for people like my parents, for example, who came yeah. here for the American dream, who left socialism, who went through hell to to give us this life and this opportunity. They never went on welfare. They never never took a handout. It's disgusting to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I I grew up with that. My dad was a small business owner. Worked so hard, supported all of us. We didn't have health insurance at the time. You know, never thought of to go on any sort of government assistance or help or anything of the sort. And then you see all these people just come in and take advantage of everything. It's like. That's where my taxes are going. No, like I'm going to stop paying these fucking taxes. <laughs> like, good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that one. Like it's insane. And if more people just did that, they would get the point. You know, they would they would be like, okay, okay, you know, we need to do. You know, maybe it would make them think twice. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's a slap in the face. There's so many people still in line trying to get to this country that deserve to be in this country that yeah. will add to this country. And then you see all this shit. It's like fuck. And, you know, it's it's so frustrating. I can't even imagine the people, um, what the people working on the border are dealing with no, right now. No, 100% agree with you. And it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you just can't take into account what those numbers are. I know I read them and I try to stress them. And sometimes I'll put a fuck either in the beginning, middle or end or all three to try and really wrap your brain around how big of a number that is. Those people are all getting moved to cities all over the United States. Most of them. Republican states, cities that are Republican strongholds, and they're just destroying the economy. They're making, they're helping, you know, uh, businesses circumvent like the legal working process and and ruining middle-class jobs. And, and, you know, for as good as, or bad as the intentions of the people who come here as economic migrants are, they're not doing anything to add to this country right now. And it really needs to be regulated. We'd love to see an immigration moratorium and then a complete reworking of the federal immigration system moving forward after the midterms and then after. We have course, decades tw- and decades of issues that this is going to cause. A lot of IOUs. Yeah. A lot of IOUs. And, I'm uh, going to add one. Can I add one more thing before? I'm not saying all these people are bad, you know, no, like, no, because no. I take it the wrong way. But um, we don't know who the fuck these people are. First and foremost, we have our own problems in this country that need to be taken care of. And, you know, there's a whole 
the the people that are pouring in through the border have a completely different culture and come from completely different countries from Russia, from the other third world countries, Mexico, they've got a different way of life yep. and different philosophy, religion, culture, all of that, that does not align with the American way. No one too, you know, like, and they, a lot of them don't want to assimilate, you know, and, and they're not getting put into a pipeline of assimilation as would someone exactly. who legally immigrates here does, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of formality that, go, yeah, there's a lot of formality that goes into it. And when you're having people like catch and release is like literally come in, get cleaned up, get a bus pass, see in a few years for your court date. And that's it. Like exactly. I, I wish there was some, you know, better way to kind of put it. But you know, if they go to a Christian or a Catholic or a Jewish charity and then get released to sponsors, that's one thing. If they have family that have already made the trek or have immigrated to the United States, regardless of whether or not it's legal or illegal, you know, then they'll go there. But you know, this affects people all the way down to school. You have like these third world diseases. You have these huge learning curves that go into like schools and stuff like that with all the kids that these people are bringing. And uh, demographic completely, even yeah. in the schools. And I'm noticing for my younger siblings and my children, like, you know, my children are in private school now, but I, I you know, my friends who have kids in private school, uh, public school, mm -hmm. like it's, it's changing so much. It's like, they're they're tailoring everything around like in the suburbs you know like they're dropping off these random people coming across the border you know in the middle of nowhere not in even in the cities obviously and and they're changing the entire school curriculum to revolve around these new people yep. it's to me it's ridiculous and you're not giving them an incentive to assimilate and to become american and learn about our way of life and now americans have to learn spanish you know chinese russian it's it's kind of crazy if you ask me. I mean, this is our country. You know, I know we're a melting pot, but it's it's wild. And I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in the next 10 years. And definitely not America first. Well, it's a melting pot. You're not supposed to melt the actual pot. And that's where we're exactly. at right now. So <laughs> circling back to what we were talking about, and that's Joe Biden trying to get off to a better start this week. It's Tuesday today. This happened last night. So on a scale of one to listen here, Jack... He, he, near fat. he made it nine tenths of the way through Monday before shit went off the rails as the press was ushered out of this press conference. Let's kind of hear as they peppered him with comments. Um, Gaffey made on open mic. That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. And then a grunt. And he's out of breath already. I love how he, he looked at the mic and then looked at somebody off camera who was probably going, yep. like, hands up, like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's just like, Man, I'm gonna get beat again. Yep, and that was that was Fox News's Peter Ducey asking him a question on the way out, saying, "I'm paraphrasing now, Mr. President, if you won't answer any questions about Russia and Ukraine, how about inflation?" And that's when someone put their hand on his back and and kind of pushed him out the door, um, you know. And that's when Joe Biden made those comments on a mic that was still on, on to the point that it was included in the official White House transcripts and then disseminated to the press later. Peter Ducey didn't learn that those comments were made, according to him, until he got downstairs and some of the members of the press that actually heard it who were still in the room kind of you know talked to him about it and uh it was pretty funny he he joined jesse waters uh, on his first show and uh you know 
talked about some of these things, but I want to play this this little breakdown of it first here, uh, where they're just kind of giving a narrative on it. Uh, something happened today. I'm a little bit jealous because it didn't happen to me. Um, <laughs> we'll set it up this way. Remember what Joe Biden said on his first day in office? Roll it. But I'm not joking when I say this. If you're ever working with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk <laughs> down to someone, I promise you I will fire you on the spot. Hmm. <laughs> on the spot. Well, Joe might not realize it, but he's fired. Listen. Will you take questions on inflation then? Let's move. Thank you. Thank you. Do you think inflation is a political liability ahead of the midterms? That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. Now, Ducey is a stupid SOB, but I'm (laughs) the only one who's allowed to say that. The president can't say that. They're working overtime today on social media, I'm sure, with the whataboutism and (laughs) and Trump, et cetera. And this is the second time in a week that a Fox News White House correspondent has been derided and castigated by the president of the United States. Yeah, Jackie Heinrich. Jackie Heinrich. I I hate Twitter, but I had tweeted out that uh, Jackie was accused of asking a, quote, stupid question. It was an excellent and timely question about sanctions against Russia. And there, President Biden called her question stupid. Here, he called the actual reporter stupid. But this is a guy who, in that same NBC News poll, Jesse, is seen as no longer easygoing and likable. So his- and he definitely is not. You know, Jim Acosta tweeted today that he, he was uh, at one point called a name by Donald Trump, and to this day, he still hasn't apologized. So everybody's just been killing Jim Acosta, like requoting the tweet. And I mean, I did Dear Diary. And uh, <laughs> what did what did he say that Trump said? Because I know Trump has like shit on his life so many times. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't remember what the exact thing he said I mean, was. He deserved it, but. Yeah. But he said to this day, Donald Trump hasn't apologized. Peter Ducey, you know, he, he jumped on Hannity last night and Hannity pressed him and asked him if, if Joe Biden apologized or not. He finally <laughs> got him to admit he didn't, but said, hey, listen, here, fat. No hard feelings. No hard feelings, pal. <laughs> no, not. I'm sorry, not no hard feelings. He said nothing personal. No. Nothing. That was the that was and Hanley. Oh, that like, was the apology. So, so was there an apology? And he's like, listen, I already told you. He said nothing personal. And oh, uh, Hanley's like, did he agree to do a sit down? Are you going to get a one on one, like 20 minutes you know, unedited? And he's like, he told me it's nothing personal. So <laughs> nothing personal, pal. Yeah. And then he hung. Who am I talking to again? I'm Jill's <laughs> husband. <laughs> All right. So I'm supposed to call on. Uh, Mr. Ducey? Oh, no, I'm calling Mr. Ducey. Oh, he's on the phone right now. Nothing personal, pal. Peter Ducey is a good sport, though, and, and, and kind of weighed in on it. I'll, I'll play a small one for you. I think the president's right. You are a stupid SOB. <laughs> yeah, nobody has fact-checked him yet and said it's not true. Got him. No one's given Pinocchios for that one. No, but... <laughs> Yeah, that was a good one. And then today, obviously, in our last clip of the day, you know, we try to keep it light, keep it right, and keep it tight. But uh, Jen Psaki probably didn't want to hold a press conference. Ooh, I'm surprised she didn't get COVID again. I'm surprised that Peter Ducey was able to keep his press pass just for today. They probably should have gave him a one-day mulligan. But at some point, he was going to raise his hand and have to ask a question. And uh, I'm pretty sure you can all derive what it was probably about. Here it is. Sure. Forgive me, it's sort of the elephant in the room. Um, many people in the country were talking about it last night this morning. Does the president regret saying what he said about Peter? Can you shed some light if you have any have had any conversations with him today about what happened last night? 
Well, I, I would say what's most important, and I, it's Peter sitting here, so this is kind of a funny thing, but uh, the, pre the president, uh, the president um, called Peter, uh, and I, he confirmed this, so this is only why I'm speaking to this, and if you have private conversations with the president, I will assure you I'm not going to convey that on your behalf, but Peter spoke to this, the president called him, uh, he conveyed uh, to him that it was nothing personal, man, and also acknowledged that all of you are going to ask him a range of questions, uh, so I think that uh, speaks for itself. What? Uh, thank you, everyone. Hopefully, I did that justice. Uh, no, you didn't. Can't confirm. Person familiar. Person familiar. <laughs> okay. We only do on the record stuff here, Peter. Stop it. You know. Wait, so the answer was he said nothing personal, man, and that you will ask a wide range of questions. Mm -hmm. well, so weird. That wasn't addressing anything at all. And uh, like I like I mentioned in the beginning of this clip, uh, the rebranding of less progressive, Re less rebranding. Yeah, the rebranding of Brandon lasted a, a, a whopping eleven hours before completely going off the rail, crashing through a fence into a village that had a lot of small children of it in it, and then caught on fire. What a stupid son of a bitch! He certainly is. <laughs> And as we're getting ready to wrap right now, and uh, I'm going to try not to overuse the new button, but wow, it's really good. Okay. It's fresh, so you can today. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, Alex Jones needs some attention sometimes, too. Yeah. So he, yeah, he does. Not today. Not, well, I mean, we just heard a clip that was kind of retarded. Yeah, it was. So, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're just going to have to see where this all goes. A lot of news going in the news cycle. And it's spinning kind of hard. The dog is wagging. The economy is tanking. And the border's wide open. Meanwhile, all of our enemies are uh, seeing us at one of our weakest points in a long time. Definitely not peace through strength here. So we'll have to see moving forward and, and up to our Friday edition of the show uh, just how the news continues to develop between here and there. Not bad. Shaking off the rust after a long weekend. Had two incredible guests today and uh, brought you an assload of news. So many assloads. Which is what we usually do here on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. If you'd like to hear that assload of news and more, you can download all 102 episodes of the show across all major downloadable podcasting platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds today, pretty easy. Had two great guests, America First Candidates, Jameson Ellis running in Texas 2, and Jack Lombardi running in Illinois 14. In addition to our internet friends, Cagbro88, Patriotic Babe Accounts, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, Mr. Garbaggio and uh, all of his accounts, Christina Bob of OAN, and Tom Papper, Editor-in-Chief of the National File. Friends, don't forget to uh, support our sponsors and partners and help make those small American businesses great again. What is great again is the night's sleep I get whenever I do actually sleep. Oh, I thought you were going to garrison me there. My pillow. Mike's got a lot of sales going on right now. He's got like those little vacuum bags that you take traveling that are coming with the MyPillow Classic, which is at the lowest price. I think it's a Founders Club price right now. I got the travel pillow. I think it's legit. It is legit. My slippers are 50% off. You got Giza Dream everything. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website. The promo code at checkout is, of course, steak 
when you exit. And then if you want to talk to a qualified pillow representative, you could find them at 1-800-658-8045. So I got all the pieces of paper in front of me. Odyssey, the top tier of ear gear. Noah's looking hot. So are his uh, version one of one headphones. Noah, sound good? Delicious. How's it sound when you hit the garrison button? Oh, scissor me timbers. There you go. You can find them at odyssey.com. They're on Facebook and they're on Instagram. Stay ready to your holsters. You uh, pick out some plastic. You pick out a picture. Send it in. They'll melt it. Shape it into whatever you want. I know I've said dump trays, coasters, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers. Anything you want? Any, you know what? Challenge them. They do some great work <laughs> there. They're at StayReadyGearUSA.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Fact of the matter is, and there's only one rule. Don't mistreat your meat. Buy it. Shake it. Rub it. Smoke it. Pull it. Right in the mouth. Dab a barbecue sauce. Num, num, num. Did that make you laugh? Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. Take care of all your firearm needs. Got ammo. Got a lot of accessories. Newly redesigned website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. You can reach him via the telephone, 619-870-6992, or you can talk to him on Facebook Messenger. Mediocre Medic and their apparel therein. You can get a lot of different gear for on and off-duty first responders and all of our uh, boys in blue friends. MediocreMedic.com is the website, and they've got a pretty fire IG. And last but not least, if you're feeling super extra and you want awesome patches, pins, stickers, whatever to put on your stuff, your uh, outer carrier, mm-hmm. not your body carrier, the headliner of your car, your everyday carry bag, etc. Mark Joe Friday down at Dumpbox, Dumpbox.us. It's the home of the Zero Fuck Stuck, so if you don't know, go ask him. You'd find them on Facebook and Instagram as... Well, upcoming shows. We'll be back on Friday. We're going to have a nationally syndicated radio host, Alex Abernathy. I just learned this week that he has read the news for both Rush Limbaugh and Dan John, Dan Mongino, and he's going to be nice. doing the news with us on Friday. In addition to that, we're going to have Nevada senatorial candidate Adam Lexout and possibly Eric Greitens. Eric Greitens is going to join us this Friday or next Tuesday. And in addition to him, we'll be having Carrie Lake on the 1st of uh, February as well. Next Friday, Amanda Milius is coming back. It's going to be an awesome show, and we're going to have Tony Cowden, who's running in North Carolina 4. On the 11th of February, Christina Bob will be joining us. We're going to sit down with an exclusive interview with the Raw Egg Nationalists, and we're going to have an America First Roundtable Gotham City Edition. Andrew McCarthy, Desi Quaylar coming back. They want to do it together. Nice. They want to fucking do it live. Love and it. They're, and they're going to do it on the 11th of February. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. Beautiful. Speaking of stay exclusives, on the 15th, we're going to sit down and get to the bottom of January 6th with none other than Mr. Darren Beatty. It's going to be amazing. And then moving forward down the road a piece, on the 18th of February, we'll have Trump-endorsed candidate running in Georgia 6, Maui Staples. Got a couple other ones working in the pipeline right now. I just don't have final dates. I talked to Gavin Wax. He's the uh, president of the New York Republicans Club. He's going to be joining us soon. Ooh. Dr. Zlinko's just getting over Fluvid, and uh, we're in the finalizing with him as well. Ligmacron. There you go. And we've got a couple other guests. Um, 
Jim Bognett, who's running uh, for Congress, a bunch of them, uh, Blake Masters, um, Josh Mandel. You know, we're just trying to iron out some dates towards the back end of February. So as soon as we get those locked in, we'll bring them to you. And then, of course, they'll be on the show. Friends of the Week. Dumbass Photoshop. That Southern dude. Dank Elvis. He actually had a good one that made Noah laugh during the show offline. <laughs> what I meme to say, period in between each word. Grand old memes. Duke of memes. Sublime and slime. Midnight Mitch. Hugh White memes. A lot of meme accounts. But we can't forget Pubertos. Of course not. And we never will. Guys, thanks for remember between now and next show. Number one, do your own research. Uh, sometimes it doesn't always come out the right way, but I can assure you that we all do our research into everything that goes into our Steak for Breakfast podcast. And number two, start a podcast because there's never any edits and they're super easy. Noah, correct? Yep. Answer that. Super easy? 100%. Never know what you're going to get when you start your own podcast. And most importantly, let's see what happens. It should be a good one on Friday when we maybe sit down with Eric Greitens, but we're definitely going to sit down with Alex Abernathy and Nevada senatorial candidate Adam Lexel. This has been episode 102 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. On behalf of the team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. See you Friday. Antoinette? Bye, guys. Excellent job, dear. Thanks for listening, and take care. honest with you I, I'm kind of retarded